radio? Yes, talk radio. So boring, man. Crosby won it. Smartly. Shot from the line. Score! Pittsburgh stays alive! And the series is 2-1. Shot from the blue line. Sunday, January 31st, it's the Dalmatian episode of the podcast, and oh, I am wow. still James Cole. I mean, you had a week, and that's actually better than what I what I would have come up with, so... I was trying to think, too, like, it's kind of depressing that we're past the point now, I mean, we were last week, uh, where now there's not, like, a corresponding player for every episode now. Like, there's no guy that's worn 101 in the NHL, has there been? Oh, I... Couldn't imagine. Do you think... Is it ever going to get to the point... Like, are Montreal's retired jerseys going to get so fucked one day that there's going to be, like, just guys wearing triple digits for the Montreal Canadiens? Do you think they'll change that rule and you can just do that? Like, there's going to be, like, a number 117 <laughs> for the Montreal Canadiens? No? No. You don't think so? No. Like, I mean, it'll be long after you and I have perished, but... They'll get down to, like... The last possible 25 numbers in circulation and just be like, that's it! No more retired numbers! And then they'll just never retire those 25 numbers. Yeah, but... So, okay, so in that scenario, though, say so say the Montreal Canadiens have 75 retired jersey numbers, mm-hmm. which they're pretty close. So, but of those 25 guys, like, say you have 28 guys dressed in a season, are you going to have, like, Josh Anderson Jr. and Saku Koivu III... Both alternating between like who's wearing fucking number seventy six that night. Actually, that'll have been have been retired by then. Seventy five. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like, so like, you'll have two guys credited for the same jersey number, and they'll have overlapped at the time. And what if they both get into the same game? Well, they can't. You know, they can't playing playing on a line with Donald Odette the fifth. Somebody's gonna have to wear one of the available twenty five numbers. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. They'll figure it out. Cool. It'll it'll be like a. It'll be like a minor team where it's just like they just kind of like rotate. No names. It's like the affiliates come yeah. in and it's like you're number nine. Yeah. Congrats. No names in the back. Hmm. Just, this is the jersey. You got. I always love doing that coaching. Like you, ha- you call up an affiliate and it's just like, hey, like, what number do you want to wear? I remember I did this with a kid one time. Like, what number do you want to wear? And he's like, I get, I get to pick. And it's like, yeah, what number do you want? And he's like, I don't know, fourteen. Oh no, Zach's fourteen. Do you want, do you want nine or twelve? <laughs> Uh, or whatever it's like no 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 you have two numbers to choose from <laughs> and I just didn't tell him what the numbers were I was a good kid I'm Bruce Pataglia from the high button the high button mm. did we talk about that last week yeah okay you guys made fun of me both at the beginning and end of the episode about it how's the high button doing uh, I, I the website was down uh, it's it's back up now everything's good and operational we have a group chat everybody's nice so I guess that's how that's going that's well, really good for you. I'm, no. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, whatever. 
Um, a lot to get to. Big okay. episode today. I got, got a lot of. It could be or it couldn't be. I sent of, you a list a lot of, of darts like, for the dartboard. I sent you a list of like ten things that I knew about, and I'm like, ah, just pick. So I didn't know if we were doing like one thing or or all of them or what. Yeah, we're gonna spend thirty seconds on twenty six different topics. Okay. Yeah, it's that's the rapid fire. The episode. Thomas Vanek episode. So we yeah. can call it an episode. Yeah, there. there it is. There. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So lot lots to get to. Busy week. Um, few few uh, headline news stories that have developed since we uh, spoke last. Uh, and I, I think the, the big the big bomb that went off in the league. Uh, Jimmy Rutherford, uh, the sweet sweet old grandfather of the National Hockey League. Um, has packed up his Werthers, he's put on his slippers, and he has walked out of the office, resigning from the general manager role with the Pittsburgh Penguins after, I believe, uh, seven years on the job, two Stanley Cups, and... Uh, seven, that many, eh? I think... Uh, wow. I think it's... No, seven. you're probably right. That's just crazy to think about. Might be a year or two too long, but... Uh, a year or two too long? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, give or take three. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's gone. Um, it's uh, it's unfortunate in a sense because uh, I do like Jimmy Rutherford as a as a guy. He seems very nice. He's he's uh, uh, given a lot to the game of hockey, and um, like is undeniably one of the more uh, successful general managers of his of his generation. I wouldn't even go of all time, really, but. Um, look, I, I, I wish him the best for whatever reason it is that he's, he's, uh, stepped down. They've made it very clear at this point that, uh, it reportedly isn't for health purposes. So I don't think that we're, you know, being super disrespectful to, to speculate on maybe what happened here, but. You know, there's been a lot of stories that said that he kind of fell out of favor with ownership because the ownership wanted to do one thing and, and Jimmy Rutherford refused to do it. And um, I think it's just really, really interesting because, I mean, I'm on record on this podcast uh, for having disagreed with just about every decision that Jimmy Rutherford has made, uh, at least at his job. I don't know what he gets at Starbucks over the last, like, four years. Um... I, I think that he has completely torpedoed what was a very good foundation of prospects and um, depth forwards and everything to now being a roster that is just uh, uh, somewhat of a black hole. And um, I think that it's surprising that he was still the general manager to this point for me. Um, but it, he reportedly resigned because, you know, he wanted to trade... Um, Chris Letang and ownership didn't want to. And that's interesting for two reasons. Because the Penguins 100% should trade Chris Letang. And Jimmy Rutherford is not the guy that should do it. <laughs> like, I think that most of the trades that he's made over the last four years has taken an asset and turned it into significantly worse assets and he is just like, it's like the whole thing we've talked about before, where you take the paperclip and you trade it all the way up till you have a house. He's doing it the other way around. He's the guy who had the house and he's the guy ending up with the paperclip. And I don't want to know what he's going to turn Chris Letang into because he's probably the best defenseman in franchise history. 
So I don't really want to see what he's going to turn him into either. So if I'm ownership, uh, that's bad for a lot of reasons. And uh, I don't want him to do it. But also ownership's wrong. They should fucking probably trade him. It's just maybe doing it six games into a COVID-shortened season uh, with a guy who hasn't made a good trade in four years maybe isn't the way to do it. So it's a weird kind of story. Uh, it's it's fascinating, though. I don't, I don't know where the hell the Penguins are headed, but I'm interested to see it. All right, well, now that we're never going to have Larry Murphy on the podcast as a guest, um, yeah, I, 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 to me, it's, it's not really that he's gone, um, because I think he Smile probably... Smile because it happened? Yeah, I know. I think he probably should have been gone a while ago, but, like... It's it's Jan it's the last day of January, and he's stepping down. And my internal clock is going like, okay, yeah, this kind of makes sense. But my mind is sitting here going, no, wait, they've only played six games. Like the season just started. Mm-hmm. This isn't the midway point of the year, right? This is very unusual. Like what what happened in the last month that took him from the guy that we're going to go into the season with? To, like, no, you're not making that Chris Latang trade, for example. Um, we think you should go. Because, like, what, what was the circumstances here? Did Jimmy Rutherford walk into Mario Lemieux's office one day and was just like, I, I want to trade uh, Chris Latang? And Mario Lemieux said no. And what, Jimmy Rutherford said, like, it's me or him. Like, I don't really understand where, like, the hill that was. Yeah. You know, like, like, why are we dying on this hill if you're Jimmy Rutherford? But if you're the Penguins, why are you firing your general manager six six games into a season because you don't like a trade proposal that he ultimately didn't even make? Yeah, yeah, and I mean, if it's like a, if it's been a series of those things too, like here here's the thing is, and and I am open to this possibility um, because this has happened to general managers in the past is. It's quite possible that the Latang incident is the last in a series of incidents of I want to make this move, you're not making it okay, and Jimmy Rutherford finally being fed up with it after years. Like, it's very possible to me, and hear me out on this because I'm not the biggest Jimmy Rutherford fan, but everyone defends this guy and says he's one of the best GMs ever, he's such a good negotiator, all this shit. Then... The only logical explanation for him not having made a good trade in the last four years is all the trades he's made are straight from ownership and saying, we want to win now, we want to win now. And Jimmy, like, it's quite possible Jimmy Rutherford sat there that whole time and was like, no, we can win another few cups with Crosby and Malkin, but we need to have a couple down years to do it. And the Penguins refusing to acknowledge that and maybe saying... No, we need to win now, we need to win now, and and him doing his best to try to keep this roster functional, and God bless him not being a huge believer in analytics, but he, you know, trying to find what he thinks is the appropriate move for the longest time, and him just making a mess of the roster, trying to do the best he can with what he's given, which is what the Penguins are telling him to do. Because, and I hate to say it, because I didn't think so at the time, I gotta mention too, we're joined by uh, Mike Wern's dog. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, like, that's basically what happened with John Ferguson Jr. in Toronto. 
right? Was was him also not being a very good general manager. But it was just like this constant thing of we need to win now, we need to win now. And he was 36 years old and had no idea how to fucking run the Toronto Maple Leafs. And they're telling him how to do it. But you're the one, you're going to go do the legwork and him doing the legwork poorly. Like Jimmy Rutherford might be the other end of that where it's just like an old guy kind of out touch out of touch with the game. They're telling him we got to win now. And that explains why, you know, he turned all these assets into fucking nothing. And now they're down to having three assets kind of thing. So, I don't know. Like, like that was the part when I heard it, it almost made me side with Jimmy Rutherford in the end because I kind of thought, like, that is the only logical explanation to me. Because going back to your point that you made a couple minutes ago was just, why die on this hill if you're Jimmy Rutherford? Because the end is nearer than it's uh, further in your general managing career, to be polite. So, like... What job interview are you trying to explain your decisions in next season? He's 71 years old. Like, he's going to be 72. Yeah. What job interview? Like, what what job are you worried about? So, uh, unless it's your legacy and your pride, and it's just the one thing, I think it's a series of shit. And and when I heard it, it kind of made me think, holy fuck, maybe Jimmy Rutherford has kind of been on to something for a while here now. Yeah, well, and it's it's just, it's, it's such a... It's not one thing. You're, you're <laughs> My, Mike's, Mike's dog is right against the fucking uh, Mike, like bordering on Cody Fraser territory here. All right. <laughs> but for me, it's just a it's it's a cascade of of different issues here. Like this, this is a guy that like just running down the past. What do you want to say? Not, not even. I won't go by calendar time because uh, COVID has d- diminished the value of calendar time. But yeah, without getting into physical, like I said, calendar time. Just backing up to the last season, uh, this is a guy that traded away next year's first round pick for Jason Zucker. Then in the off season, he flips the first round pick that they just had. Uh, for Casper Kapanen, which you know, uh, there there's there was some logic to the move, but the price was way too high. As as a Leaf fan, I'm very glad that we made the trade in in retrospect. But you know, you you can't be giving up what he he gave up as a general manager for what was ultimately middle six depth, right for this team, and expecting that it's yeah. going to put you over the hump here. Um, and then, like, to just to kind of put the cherry on top of this whole Chris Letang thing, he's got a no-trade, no-movement clause. So, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, this was going to be something that was up to Chris Letang. And if if Chris Letang wants out, you know, if, if he's willing to make that no-trade clause go away, then then why would ownership step in and, and stop that? Here, here's a guy that's openly saying... Yeah, you can trade me. I, you know, I want out of the the core here, um, and instead the general manager is the guy that goes. Yeah, I don't know. I find it hard to believe. And, and and well, and to your point too, like that. That's where I come down on the other side of it. Is just like this ownership has never been completely obtuse in the past. So why would they all of a sudden? 
be unwilling to recognize that they're in a spot where they're not. I mean, they're they're five three and one. Like they're not bad. But does anyone see the Pittsburgh Penguins winning the Stanley Cup this year? Like, no. It's it, they're not. They're not going to. So it, it's just, in the past they've never been so unwilling to recognize the situation that they're in to make me believe that right now they are that fucking blind to be like, you know what? Let's hang on to Chris Letang another couple years because we'll get just as much for him in a couple years as we will right now. Or he should retire a penguin, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're in a spot where um, I don't see a way they can win a Stanley Cup with Crosby and Malkin. I think I I think that I think it's just passed. Like I think they have traded down so many assets and their roster is now so weak that I and they have no prospects at all. So I don't see how they're going to make a Stanley Cup happen when the time is only ticking on the clock that is Crosby and Malkin. It it's it's ticking quite aggressively for Mr. Malkin, I have to say. Like it, it's just it's not uh, it's not a great spot right now if, if you're Pittsburgh and I just like to me it's just so obvious that they they're old and bad <laughs> so it's yeah. hard for me to realize like or it's hard for me to understand who's wrong here is it Jimmy Rutherford who on on at least on the surface looks like he's in the right here on this whole thing on the trade Latang thing in my opinion or is it uh, like the second or first best hockey player of all time? And uh, owner that's done a good job in Pittsburgh, you know. Well, and it, it's tough because there's only and like you you kind of teed it up in a sense, but just to kind of take it another step further and simplify it uh, even more, there, there's only two options here. It's you either think you're a Stanley Cup contender with Crosby and Malkin and Latang, or you think you should start tearing it down to rebuild, and. I think we agree that the right move here is, yeah, like you probably should trade Latang and you probably should probably like trade Evgeny Malkin <clears throat> within the next year or two. And like, this is the point you're at. Like you've got enough years left of Sidney Crosby's contract where like, if you started now, maybe by the time he's got a year left, you're back in the hunt and, and old man Crosby is passing down the wisdom to the, the next, you know, core of penguin penguin players. And maybe he has one last hurrah and, 2025 but does that sound like a move that a 71 year old general manager would be making does jimmy rutherford want to be the guy that starts the rebuild for the next gm gonna be around for the end he's not gonna be around for it why would he be the guy that starts the beginning of the next guy's job it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me so jimmy rutherford by all accounts by by the definition of, of where he is at his in his career should want to be trying to win so the only way he's moving Chris Letang is if he thinks he's bringing in a piece that's as good as, if not better, than Chris Letang. And what's that move? Is is he trying to like flip Chris Letang for like Drew Doughty? Does he think Drew Doughty's the like? Is he going out looking for PK Subban? That's where I could see maybe there's uh, some room right. for let's get rid of the old man before he trades Chris Letang for. Mark and even, and even more depreciated assets. You know, yeah, I understand. And that's that's where I can kind of make the connection here. But well, if, and 
Yeah, and that that was my initial issue before I really thought about it, right? Was when he said he was stepping down. It's like, great. Like, he, he continues to make bad decisions and show that he has no idea who is or isn't relevant now in the NHL kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, he gives up this haul for Kasperi Kapanen that teams would have given up for him, like, maybe two years ago, thinking that, yeah, he, he's going to be just as good as William Nylander. And he ain't fucking close. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Good like, good depth player. Like, that's what yeah, Pittsburgh well, needs. But... He's got five points in six games. Yeah. Like, he's been great. But, like, I'm just saying he continually shows that he doesn't quite seem to understand mm-hmm. the value of the modern-day hockey player. Like, again, like, I love Brandon Tanev. He's great. But a four-year, $12 million deal in this, or five-year maybe even, like, that that's ridiculous. It's, it's just way too much for Brandon Tanev. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he's on the team. That's great. But, like, he's taking up a million and a half more per year than he probably should be on your salary cap for no a couple too many years with a no-trade clause. Like, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I see your point. I, li- I like what you said about the idea of them... Probably, like, they can probably win a cup again with Crosby. But I don't see a way that they keep Malkin, Crosby, and Latang together and the way that they're able to recoup assets to yeah. turn this around. Like, unless they trade Gensel right now. But why would you? Getting Malkin's got uh, one more year after this season at $9.5 million. Like, again, a guy with a no-movement clause and a guy that, by all accounts, probably doesn't want to leave Pittsburgh. But I think he'd be open to it. He might be, depending on the location. You know where he's ending re- up. There were reports years ago he always wanted to be the guy, right? Oh, and like that. Oh, and but that's the thing, right? Like, yeah, he he might not think that way. So if they tell him, you know, you can go to, I don't know, where would he be the guy? Well, not that he'd want to go to Columbus, but like <laughs> Big Apple. Um, he wouldn't be the guy. Zabinijad's not been very good to start the year, but... Uh, Either of the Big Apple teams, really. If big you, you Apple know. teams, yeah. He could go to Buffalo. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I've always wanted to see Malkin in another uniform. It's like, just like... he could go down to Florida and play with Bobrovsky or something, right? Like, there might be something there. You know, oh, here's here's Coach Q. He's won some cups. Go down to Florida. You know, the Russians seem to like Florida, you not, know? So. Not to get too off topic, but yeah. what like what is... Well, it's not even off topic. Like, what what do you make of Malkin right now? Well, that's kind of where I was going with this. I'm, mean, you know, I'm saying like, if if you can find a way to get him off your books, the Pittsburgh Penguins, because I I still think Latang's fucking pretty good. Like, he's had a rough start. Latang is going to age still like think fine. Like, he's like, really good. He's gonna he's gonna have like that 40, 41 year old like type of career where Yink so he's right. still he'll just be like a power play specialist yeah Sergey Gonchar esque yeah I just, just kind of fade off the only thing with him is his, he's had fucking a lot awful of health career issues. health issues yeah. right no, like, but but to get back to it like if Kenny Malkin like if 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 you're if you're the goal as Mario Lemieux is to say like yeah I remember when I you know came out of retirement for the third time and uh, you know we we tried to tried to put another little run together um sure it would be nice to do that for sid you know if, if your goal is to have sid kind of go on top or give him the option to at least you got to move malkin now you got to recoup as many assets as you can for Evgeny malkin because i think like at 34 years old no training camp and that much time off between playing hockey 
I, I think he's he's slow out of the gate. You know, you know the old legs ain't what they used to be. Uh, I think this is still a dangerous hockey player. Yeah. That you know, come playoff time during a shortened season, he he might go off. Yeah. You know this this is a guy that has a, like this is going to have massive trade value. I think for Evgeny Malkin, and you've got it here in a bottle, and you've got you've got two windows of opportunity here. You got the dead the trade deadline. If you can if you can talk him into, you know, accepting that. You know, hey, the team's not going to make the playoffs this year. Uh, why don't you go ch- go chase a cup somewhere? Or if Pittsburgh is still kind of in that mix, you know, the two three slot in the uh, in the East, you hang on to him, you, you go for a run, but then you flip him as fast as you can at the at the, uh, at the draft or the expansion draft, either or, and you get as much as you can for him because as soon as we're back to an eighty two game schedule, and then the playoffs. Don't think that's that's a world of hockey that Evgeny Malkin can excel at anymore. Um, yeah, he might he might be really good in December, January in a regular year, but it's going to take him a little bit to get going, and it's going to tail off a lot quicker than it used to. And I love the guy; like he's been a treat to watch. I've watched him his entire career, but there's just something about you know he's got that size, he's got that big frame. It's taken some abuse. I think it's catching up with him. So I would move him as fast as possible, and that sucks. I, I guess that really sucks. I, I guess Matt it just Sundin depends. Leaving, like, and it's like, I, I guess Sundin is kind of the Crosby here, but you know what I mean. Like when you've got a guy that has won and been a part of a core, uh, like a mini dynasty for so long, spent his entire career with your team, that's tough to move. I get that. I get that. That's tough, but. You just gotta make those moves sometimes, and you gotta you kind of wake up, and you gotta you gotta look five years down the road in some cases, and the GM's not gonna do it. Like I said, whether it's Jimmy Rutherford or somebody else, you're you're not trying to tee up the the bases loaded for the next guy, right? You you, you as a general manager are trying to win now or get yourself out of the hole now, not worry about five years from now. But if you're Mario Lemieux, like you gotta look at the, the big picture here and say it's it's time to move on. Yeah, I don't see a way. Where the current roster they have, every single piece of the roster jumps up like a line's worth of value all of a sudden to make, like, you know what I mean? You've got every guy on every line is playing a line ahead of where they should be other than your top line, basically, in Pittsburgh. And their top line isn't good enough to compete with the best top lines in the league. It's still good, and it's still a top line, but it's not, you know, Boston's top line. Uh, of last year, I guess, basically. Uh, or, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's not when McDavid and Dreisaitl play together. Like, it's not on that level. So, I just, I, I think they're out of chips, and I just, I, I it's unfortunate to say, but that that's the whole thing I'm getting at. It's just, like, I think, I still I still think Malkin can kick it. Like, that that's my point. But it's, it's, what you're saying is that you need to take advantage of the time you still have of prime Malkin in order to try to sell Malkin to another team. And I think the clock is is ticking in that sense. I still think he's good. His stats this year are, are, are bad. He's, like, he's a good hockey Undeniably player. bad. But even la- like last year, he t- like even if you want to dive in the analytics too, like you know, on the surface level, he had 74 points in 55 games last year. Very good numbers. He was a fucking 58% expected goals player last year. In 55 games, like, he's fucking really good. You look at his career stats, it's like, even analytically, it's like, holy 
fuck. Like, he is going to go down as one of the most underrated, appreciated, like, underappreciated hockey players ever. And I just... I just think they're at a point where they need to maximize their returns on them, and the returns are very, very much limited in the years coming. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just very much the clock is ticking on them, and I don't know. Like, is it worth keeping Malkin and Crosby together and just trying to do it and fading into the fading out like that? Or is it worth trying to get Sid one more without Malkin? I think it is. Like, I, I think it is worth that. I, I understand that maybe 30 years from now, people will look back and be like, yeah, you did Malkin dirty on that last cup. I don't know. Like, are people going to care or aren't they? I'd rather just fucking cut them loose, to be honest with you. Like, I, I have a very unique approach to a lot of this stuff, I think, than a lot of people because I'm a New England Patriots fan. Right? I, I, I genu- Genuinely, I believe this because I talk to people all the time where it's just like, you need to trade this guy, trade that guy, trade this guy. And it's like, no, man, like you can't trade him. You can't trade that. The New England Patriots didn't give a fuck who you were other, unless you were Tom Brady. They don't give a fuck, man. They will they will cut you on your birthday while you're having dinner with your fucking family if they think they can win the next week's game with someone who's better than you. They didn't give a fuck, man. And look at how good they were for 20 years because they never overpaid anyone. They were never overloyal. They literally just said... Is this guy trending upward or is he trending downward? And it's the biggest problem in hockey, right? Is all like, I know it's a business and you want to try to sell jerseys and shit like that. But like teams are way too loyal to guys, I find, in the NHL. And I, I'm wondering if that's going to be the case here in Pittsburgh. If they're just too loyal to Malkin, too loyal to Latang, And this group just fades out without another cup. Or if they each get a cup, it's, it's somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they were talking about that on TSN. Where's Crosby going to retire? And whatever idiot it was, he's like, oh, he's going to retire a Montreal Canadian. And I'm like, yeah, like, I guess that would, like, if he were to pick his next destination, that would make sense. But unless Pittsburgh completely fucking mails it in on him, why would he leave? Yeah. Like, they should do everything they fucking can to win him another cup. And in my opinion, it's trading Latang and Malkin. Yeah. Well, and and not to get too off topic and here. The other pieces, but right. Not to get too off topic, but just to speak on your point about loyalty is there. There was a really weird transition in the NHL during the 1990s, um, where if you go back and you look at the the late 70s, early 80s, even going into like the Gretzky trade, um, there there really was that type of mentality where. Um, what what have what have you done for me lately? You know, um, we'll we'll trade you. Oh, your your name is Daryl Sittler. Who gives a fuck? Like, boom, you're out of here. Terrible trade. But like, you know what I mean? Like, they didn't have that sense of oh, you're no. you, you've got to stay here your whole career. It was and, a lot more baseball esque in that yeah, sense. Where yeah, was, you almost moved on too quick, right? But then there was this weird era that we kind of found ourselves in where. You know, Joe Sackick plays for one franchise for 20 years. And Steve Eisman goes out there and plays for one franchise for 22 years. And, you know, Mario Lemieux sticks with the Penguins for as long as he does. And, and, and the kind of the weird correlation with those franchises is that they found ways to win with those mm-hmm. players, have them transition into their elder statesman period, and still kind of come out of the other end 
competitive. Like, like the Pittsburgh Penguins went from drafting Mario Lemieux to, you know, riding Yarmer Yager for a few years. They take one year off from the two of them. They finish last place. They get Sid Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And then they still get that honeymoon period where, you know, Lemieux comes back, hands the keys off to the kids, and the kids go on. You know, Mario Lemieux didn't have to leave Pittsburgh to go chase a cup somewhere else. Joe Sackett didn't have to go play for the Blues at the deadline because, you know, the the Avalanche didn't care about, you know, they, they, they were able to move on. And, you know, Detroit, obviously, with, with Yarsman leaving, they, they still won their cup. You know, Zetterberg and, and Datsuk, they had their moment. You know, so there, there's ways to do it in hockey that I think is a little bit different than other sports. But you're right. This, the idea that... That's the commitment. It's the commitment. That's my point, right? It's the it's whole thing. Like, it, we're seeing it with Chicago with Taves and Kane. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, those guys did a lot of heavy lifting. And, and in a lot of ways, they saved your fucking franchise. And if yeah. they want to stay here, by all means, like, give them the opportunity to stay there. But do right by them. Yeah. If, if you're going to expect loyalty from them, be loyal to them well, and, and, and go out and fix the problems. That's where it all... That's where it all lands on ownership at the end of the day, right? Is because... Like, you talk about Sackick, and you talk about Eiserman, and you talk about Lemieux, and, like, these guys get talked about in the grand scheme of the game differently than Luke Robitaille, than Brett Hall, because, and maybe it's not the only reason, but because, like, those guys hopped around. Like, I think there's something to be said for a guy who plays his whole career with a team, or is or is at least incredibly loyal to said team for basically his whole career, you know. Like I I don't think Patriots fans would look differently on Tom Brady now that he left and went somewhere else and hopefully wins the Super Bowl next week. And um, you know, but like I don't think that would change things, and I don't think Leaf fans look at Sundin any differently for you know playing for Vancouver for a year at the end, but like. Do Tampa Bay fans look at Brad Richards the same as they do Vinny LeCavalier? No. But who had the better career? Like, it's it's comparable. If if not, it might be Richards. Yeah. Right? But LeCavalier gets the shrine sort of treatment, whereas Richards left. He fucked off and went away. I mean, they traded him. But, like, you know, it's... At the end of the day, like, I just... I wonder if there's a logic for ownership to kind of say, you know what... It's better. It's a better long-term business move to hang on to Malkin now, and then twenty years from now, we're still going to be able to be like, "Wow, you remember Malkin played his whole career in Pittsburgh?" Blah blah blah. Career Pittsburgh Penguin, and you group them together, then for it to be a Lakers Shaq and Kobe situation where Shaq was unbelievable, but Kobe gets all the fucking respect when it comes to Lakers sort of discussion and Shaq doesn't get quite as much because he came from somewhere else and then he left mm-hmm. whereas Kobe was born and bred LA Laker beginning to end so I wonder if that's part of the reason why you see this unwillingness to move on from these stars is because it's it's not the nostalgia even it's almost like planning for the future by embracing the past you know right yeah Mario Lemieux like I, I don't said, agree with it but yeah just just to kind of put a bow on this like Pittsburgh Penguins would like to make fun of them about how they, you know, they've, oh, they, they don't know what like suffering is. They they went from Lemieux to Yager to Crosby and all this, and and 
it, they're in such a unique position because literally the the franchise, the icon of this entire team, is Mario Lemieux, and and he's the guy making the decisions. He's the owner, and he knows exactly what it's like to be forty two years old, sitting on the bench next to the eighteen year old phenom that just showed up, and knowing I can walk away right now. And yeah, you know what? We're not going to have one last run together. I got my cups. But I know I know Pittsburgh's taken care of. Yeah. I, I know that if I left and say Mario decided he wanted to go elsewhere, obviously he's the owner, that'd be a bit of a, a tricky yeah. situation. But no, there there are guys yeah. like I understand Crosby doesn't literally own the Penguins. <laughs> he shouldn't ever play anywhere else though. Like yeah. if I'm Pittsburgh, he's like the only guy. But you don't give, you know, fucking like Daniel Alfredson shouldn't get that treatment, and he didn't. He yeah. left and they let him go and then that's fine. Yeah. Crosby's like one of the few guys in the history of the game where it's like, yeah, he should never play. But he, he he is like we're we're like two years away from that period of his career where it's like, who is he going to leave the, t- the keys to? Yeah, you got to find somebody. <laughs> Mal Malkin's older. <laughs> he's not the young guy. Like he's not the guy you leave the team to. Well, so you you got to go out there like you got to find those those connections like the Los Angeles Kings are a great example they are doing it perfectly they've still got those couple big star pieces from the cup runs yeah the timing's probably going to work out pretty good their for fans LA. can still go to the game on a Thursday night and say oh yeah no Kopitar's playing tonight oh quick's in net <clears throat> Drew Jones on defense um, yeah. and they can go and watch those guys those, those like, name brand guys but in two or three years yeah they're going to have a whole new core oh, of guys right. that hopefully are competing for a cup again. And they don't have to go through the... Kopitar will still be on the team. He's going to be your third-line center right. making too much money. But, like... The Joe Thornton situation. Eh, like yeah. He's still pretty good. Like, yeah. you know, he. I think he's going to age pretty well. So they, they can go through that and not have to worry about the Jason Allison years. You know what I mean? Like, where, <laughs> where you just middle for a while and you pick up a guy that you hope you can turn you around in, in two seasons and then... Oh, we're back to where we started from because that didn't pan out. So, yeah. I don't know. The heir apparent in Pittsburgh needs to be sorted out soon uh, as the careers of Malkin and Crosby wind down. So weird to it's, think about that. It's a very easy answer, James. Sidney Crosby will simply leave the keys to the buyout contract of Jack Johnson. Mm. That will still be around. Mark andre Fleury and Crosby and Latang are just going to go team up in... Quebec City. When they move the Coyotes there. Coyotes going to Houston. Panthers are going Gen- to Houston. Genuine question, just because I don't think we've talked about it sure. since like season one of the podcast. Who's the next team to get moved? Is it Arizona? We don't need I, to have a debate, but no, it's just like... Yeah, I, I think... <laughs> who is it? Like, I don't know, this wasn't even part of the plan. No, for I, know, I know, I know. We're going we're gonna to not even discuss anything. <laughs> 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 we're going to be like an hour and a half in this. All right, well... That's it. Yeah. We didn't get to anything we planned on getting to, but... Um, yeah. Oh, fuck. It's it's so easy to just sit here and say Arizona, because everyone says Arizona every time that they do this, but wasn't it to you, like, wasn't it a big kind of red flag when the NHL decided to put the Arizona Coyotes in the Central Division after all this <laughs> talk about... Houston wanting to bring a team in yeah. and how close Houston is to the Central Division. Yeah. Like that, the Stars just kind of align too well on that one, I, I think, because, uh, yeah, I, I think the Quebec thing is is off the table for now, but 
if I was a betting man, I'd, I'd put Arizona to Houston. Hmm. Pretty firm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because like it's not that far of a move. Like it just kind of. It's not like it's you not like when under the rug, you got all you your fans the coyotes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost you could like you've got all your fans in. In fucking Seattle, cheering on the Supersonics, and they're like, "Oh, we got to move your team." And it's like, "Well, you know, no hard feelings, except a lot of hard feelings." Where are you moving our team? And like, "Oh, not too far, just mm. to Oklahoma." Yeah. Oh, good. I'll never go to watch a game there. And it's like, great. That's what we're hoping. We don't want to see any Seattle Supersonics yeah. jerseys, and then they just sweep it under the rug. Well, you, you, know? you saw that little documentary about the the fans in Atlanta that are like Jordan? big oh. Jets fans. No, I actually did. No, I haven't. Used, oh, no, there, there's like a a core following. I'm very bad for for hockey documentaries. There's like these this. It's like a Facebook group of like 30 guys that just love the Winnipeg Jets because yeah, they were yeah, the no, I've heard Thrashers. about it though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like they're never gonna drive to Winnipeg to see a game. You know what I mean? But like yeah. if you move the Arizona Coyotes uh, a state and a half yeah. over. Yeah, who you like could still kind of embrace the, the heritage. The five hundred fans that are there, like yeah, they could probably just drink it. And then we get that nice little just have a Kachina jersey with an H on it yeah. for Houston. We get that nice little moment where we once we move the Coyotes to Houston, we can retroactively give the Winnipeg Jets their history back and then you That's know, true. We, we kinda make the whole world just nice and round dry. again. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What happened for those fifteen years? Oh, we don't talk about those fifteen years. That was yeah. that was a bad time in Canada. Yeah. That was that was the Canadian Civil War when Winnipeg didn't exist. Like the Family Guy joke when they're on vacation in Germany. Eh? Oh, what happened between those years? Everyone was on vacation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I would I would say Arizona. Do you have an update since season one? Ah, uh, no, I don't know. I, I like I. Uh, who would I personally move? I mean, it's not like I ever talk about that sort of a thing. I'm definitely okay with all the Florida teams. Um, yeah, um, I just want. It's just like, I, I want one of the two. I want the Panthers to either change their name and rebrand completely. And still be in Florida, but just not in... Miami. In, yeah. Or I want them to just move completely so that way they kind of change the color scheme and fix the jerseys. Like, one of the two. Alright. Just just to kind of, like, this is totally, like, we're, we're going off script here, for sure. Like, this is... Just gonna keep the conversation going here, and if we get to the rest of the breakdown, we do. But um, I read a very interesting article, and I know we've had this talk before, but you brought up the whole relocation thing. And do tell. I, I thought this would be a nice little conversation to have because this is the perfect season for it. Um, we've got this kind of unique situation with these four divisions that have never existed before that are taking over the landscape of the league, and we got Seattle coming in this summer. So for the start of the 2021-2022 season, should the NHL follow the suit of the NFL, blow up the divisions, and go four teams by eight divisions? You know, fuck, I was really hoping you weren't going to ask me something divisional related because I've I've been having a lot of thoughts lately. I have never been... Never... So interested in the NHL as I am right now, ever in my life. What, what are they gonna do? I'm, I watch if there, as long as there are two games a night, because uh, the NHL. I don't know if you heard about this. Likes to do this thing where they have 14 games on one night and they're all at the same time, and then the next night there's one game and it's at 10 o'clock and it's the two worst teams in the fucking division. Um, but the nights where I can, I watch two games every night, and I am genuinely so interested in the league right now 
And I think I figured out why, and I really hate to admit it. I I, I hate to say it. I think it's because they're all playing their own division. Like I don't I don't want to watch the fucking Blue Jackets play the Stars. But now that they're in the same division, yeah, hell yeah, that's a fucking fun game because it's like this is important for both of them. But like, can you imagine last year sitting down watching the the fucking Blue Jackets and the Stars? You couldn't have, you couldn't you well you probably could have paid me money, but you would have had to pay me a decent amount of money to watch that game. Yeah, you know what I mean? No, there's no way in hell this year now. I dude, I've still like I feel like I give an update every week. I've watched like ninety percent of the North Division's games. From start to finish, mm-hmm. I've seen almost every minute of these fucking team seasons because it's because it's awesome. This is great. Like it's so much fun. It's like, like a little the, it's, you know it's this a is tournament. Great. It's like group oh. A and group B at the World Juniors. Like, I mean, you I'm play just... your own division, your own group the whole time, and oh, yeah. yeah, that team's playing this team tonight. Oh shit! Well, that has a big effect on my team still. Yeah, um, there's gonna be some games. Don't get me wrong. Like in the final fifteen, where it's just like eh. You know, Edmonton and Ottawa are out of it now. I'm not going to watch them play for the eighth time this year. I Like, you know, I understand this is going to lose its appeal. But I think it's there's something really cool. And I, I have sort of been on the train of. And it'll never happen, though. And this is the problem. It's really nice at the season shorter. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot more <laughs> fun. Like, the NHL, like, they'll never reduce the amount of games. Because, no. uh... Until until having 82 games starts losing the money, which doesn't really make sense, then they won't stop doing it. Hmm. But I, I think there's something to be said for increasing the amount that you play the teams in your own division yeah. going forward. Hands down. I genuinely think it makes more sense. Like, it hurts certain markets. I, I, I won't disagree with that, but it sort of helps them too if you know that even if you live in florida and you know not that they're in the same division now but no they are if you know that carolina is coming to town you know eight nine times and you're a carolina fan you know you can plan a couple trips to florida a year and you start going there to see your team because it's the closest place other than you know closest place you can road trip to to see them like i just i think there is a logic to it to it's gonna bring in more tv ratings it certainly has already. Like ratings are are up significantly this year, and I don't think it'll hurt ticket sales. Like I just I think there's something to be said for that. Like certain teams are going to lose the getting the Leafs to like you know Florida loses getting the Leafs to town four times a year. Well, whatever though, it's four games out of the year where your ticket sales take a hit on those nights. But if you find a way to bring people in, I just like I don't I don't I should have gone to school for marketing. I don't think it's that hard. Okay, you know. Uh, you can just fucking market things. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's what my girlfriend thought when she just, took the. Yeah. Just market it. Like yeah. I don't know how fucking hard is it. So just real quickly, I'll run down with the, the idea that. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah. So should they the do the NFL thing? Yeah. Uh okay. Well, yeah. Run it yeah, down. He, he, no, never mind. Yeah, I don't have an opinion. He came up with the divisions, the four teams in. Uh, he wanted to stress geography first, Who but did this uh, Ian Mendez from the Athletic. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I already like it. He wanted to uh, focus on geography, but also give a nod to historical rivals. So if if, if something makes sense, because the NFL does, you know, uh, yeah. there's something there. So he's he's kind of he, he gave them some f- uh, phony names because in the NHL they, they don't care about historical purposes of names and conferences and divisions and stuff like that. So who cares? Uh, NFL, the Ro- NHL not a, a historical league for sure. NHL does not like their history. Well, not when it comes to dividing its teams, at least. Ooh. Um, 
the Rocky Mountain Division. We'll start out west. Uh, Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver, Seattle. Okay. Sucks for Seattle because they're like, you know, the, the lone American team in that division. But I think everything else kind of checks out there. You Four teams that are, generally okay. speaking, pretty close together. Okay. You got the Golden Division, which is the uh, Anaheim, Los Angeles, San Jose, and Vegas. Okay. Right? I'm going to okay. rename it, but yeah. Well, you got the Golden State, but then you got the Golden Knights. It covers everybody. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, my first thought was Golden Knights, and I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. well, it's so it's just call it the Golden Knights yeah. Division. The South Midwest Division, powered by Geico. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Big no, he didn't. Yeah. No, he didn't. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, this, this, this is the one where he says that, you know... He'll take a he'll take a loss here because it's just tough at some point to put yeah, these, yeah, these yeah. teams in the division. Uh, Arizona, uh, which we have already moved to Houston ourselves on the Least Up podcast. So, okay. uh, Houston, Colorado, Dallas, and St. Louis. You get a nice little little funky well, like, diamond shape. Yeah, like yeah. whatever. I mean, like not every division in the NFL is interesting either. Sure. I don't know if you heard about it. Uh, there was a team that won the division this year, and they won like one game all year. It was pretty cool. There you go. Made the playoffs having one win. Uh, the Great Lakes Division, in which you get Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota, and Winnipeg. Yeah, I like that. It it, it does suck not having St. Louis and Chicago in the same division, but you can probably live with it. Yeah. Probably live with it. But at a certain point, like, only certain rivalries really. And I mean, you like it, it'll still work. It'll yeah, still work. only like, playing your division. Like, they'll still play There are games. certain divisions in the NFL, too, that are way just more, like, like rival heavy than others, yeah. right? Yeah. The fucking I, I forget what division it is. The NFC fucking Central or something. I don't know. That has uh, uh, the Vikings, the Bears, the Lions, and the Packers in one division. Yeah. And they all hate each it's, other. It's amazing. That's great. But then there are also other divisions where it's like, cool. You guys yeah. been in the same division for ten years. Have you ever met each other? Don't, don't the Steelers and the Patriots like have a big rivalry and they're not in the same big division? rivalry? Yeah. Not in the same. So. Not in the same division. No. Yeah, and like works. that's the thing too. Like every team, every fan base in the Patriots division hates the Patriots. But like as a Patriots fan, yeah, I hate the Bills. I don't have an opinion on the Jets or the Dolphins. So like I don't. Yeah. You know, I actually like the Dolphins, and we. They're a massive divisional rival of ours. And, and football is a little different because obviously they only play one game a week and the schedule is much shorter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it kind of makes for more of a must-see event. But how yeah. cool would it be if like, if the Blues and Blackhawks want to play twice a year? Well, shit. Now i got to watch that game. Yeah. You know, I don't like... Yeah, like you're... Like good. almost understating a rivalry to make it more intense. Exactly, yeah. That, yeah. There, there's something there uh, for sure. I don't uh, hate it. The Coastal Division, moving to the East... In which you get uh, the Florida teams, Tampa and the Panthers, Carolina and uh, the Predators. Um, now, now before we worry about Coastal and yeah. Nashville, uh, just remember that landlocked Ottawa is in the Ath- Atlantic Division currently. So, uh, yeah. yeah, the naming might need some. Yeah, no, that's the, I'm not too worried about the naming. Yeah, you got you got the whole kind of small issue of having Nashville in the Central Time Division playing against three Eastern Conference teams, which might yeah. be a little bit of a pain, but... Well, I mean, once you relocate uh, the Panthers to Kansas City, it'll all right. balance out. exactly. Which I'm assuming is in the Central Time Division. Yeah. Missouri. It's so, got to be. Yeah, right? I'm sure. Uh, the Keystone Division, uh, which is uh, Columbus, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and Washington. <sighs> That's a division. Yeah. 
I think Columbus and Washington are, are like slowly becoming a bit of a rivalry after the you know, playoff matchups. And like Columbus Pittsburgh is an underrated rivalry. Like that's a, that's that's a good one. That's one of those Ottawa Toronto rivalries though, where it's like Columbus thinks they're rivals and Pittsburgh, <laughs> Pittsburgh's just like, buddy, come on, we, we we have a we have a team on the other side of the state and Crosby Ovechkin. Like just hold on, like we'll get to you later. Poor Ottawa. Yeah. How dare you disparage the good name of Patrick Laleem? Um The Heritage Division. Uh, which gives us the Boston Bruins, the Montreal Canadiens, the Ottawa Senators, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, four teams that date back to the 1920s, technically, for the NHL. Wow. Uh, once again, we have the added blip of Boston being the only American team. But, uh, you know, at some point you got to just rip the bandaid off, I think, and go with it. And by process of elimination, that leaves the Empire Division. <laughs> and the rest. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the Empire Division. <laughs> and, but it'd be funny if it was like, uh, Arizona, Buffalo, uh, <laughs> Minnesota, close, and, and who did I forget? And the uh, other team, Oklahoma City, not right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, Tri City Americans. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, the Empire Division: New York, New York, New Jersey, and Buffalo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't hate most of those. Yeah, I don't know. Like it, it'd be, it'd be cool. Like it's just, it's something different, and I don't know. Like I. You remember when people used to bitch where it's like, why would you play this team five or six times a year? And and now, like, I was never one of those people. Like, now I'm coming out of the woodwork and I'm like, I, I could watch my team play their divisional rivals eight times a year and I wouldn't be upset. And then watch them play another seven times in the playoffs. I, 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 don't, I don't care. Like, if it's compelling and it's interesting and I think every game for every division is, like, even that, the... Uh, oh man, I'm going to try to do it from memory right now. The, uh, oh, it's, so it's, it's not Discover. Maybe it's Discover. Yeah, no, it is. The Discover Central Division? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I think so. Did I, did I nail that? No, it is. It's because it, you can't spell Discover without COVID. Because you got to discover who's in the division every time you, that's how I remembered it. Yeah. Every time we talk about it. Um, I, I'm actually interested in that division. I made fun of how, like, like they literally threw, like, of the eight teams in that division, like, five of them are what I consider to be, like, the most boring teams in the NHL, like Columbus and Florida, and, like, I don't give a fuck about them. But they're all in this one division now. It's, like, the times they do play when they're all allowed to play games, it's been fun. Like, I, it's actually interesting. Like, I like the idea that every game is more important, and that's always been the complaint about an 82-game schedule. There's just too many games. So make the games you play more important. And will you want to watch your team play the same team 10 times in a row? I don't know. Some people would say no. I, I would say yes. Yeah. Like, I, I find it more interesting. Yeah. You you take the team... I love... Like, I've been loving our games against Edmonton because they've just been so entertaining. And now we literally just played our fourth in six games against the Oilers. And I had so much fun watching the game tonight. And tonight was the best game they've played. Because it started to open up, and they're like, fuck, we got to start taking risks now. Like, now they've figured out our little habits. Now we just have to open the game up. And it was fucking great. It was the best hockey game I've watched all year. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, McDavid and Matthews were in the game, so maybe this logic doesn't work for certain other teams. But Yeah. You'd have to tinker with the math a little bit uh, if you take uh, four teams in a division and, and figure out, like, yeah, you, what do you, you play 12 games against each opponent in your division, and that's 36 games, and then you play everybody else twice, one in each barn. Um, so I think the math doesn't quite check out there, but I, I think this is a really interesting idea. You take the you take the top 
uh, two teams from each division. You still get 16 playoff teams. You can still split them up east-west. Um, and then, like, fucking, like, hear me out here, okay? Like, and I, I know, I know you're going to have some situations, some years, where this is just going to be an absolute dreadful outcome. And somebody's going to be left out as the third slot team with a winning percentage. And we saw with the 80s Maple Leafs where they're making the playoffs uh, under 500. And, you know, the Red Wings are missing out because of alignment issues and all this. But you have these eight divisions and the, the top two seeds make the playoffs, but they play each other in the first round. So you guarantee that you get that rivalry matchup in the playoffs that the NHL seems to want every time. But then, once you're past that, you're still kind of left with what should be the best of the best. And you can realign on a divisional basis, which you can't do this year. We've already talked about how they, they don't have the east-west factor. but uh, Or you go 1 through 16, like Ian Mendez seems to think that they should. And just uh, to hell with the geography. And if Vancouver has to play a seven-game series against Florida, so be it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, once the like once the playoffs happen, everything goes out the window for me. I don't really you can you can structure the playoffs however which way makes sense to you. I don't know if it needs to have a direct tie uh, to how the regular season works. Even though I like the conference format, like I wouldn't want to watch an interconference matchup necessarily in the playoffs, but I've never had to, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know. Maybe it'll be maybe it'll be better. Like it's the same thing too. Again, like where. I'm watching all the Canadian teams play each other, and I kind of thought it was going to be boring, and now I think it's great. Like, yeah, it's, awesome. oh, it's fantastic. It's been fantastic uh, to say watch. That for like the 40th time tonight. But. You, you give me that heritage, heritage division, and again, yeah, it kind of sucks that the Leafs and Sabers aren't playing. You know, a bunch, uh, but oh, it sucks fuck. for the Leafs. Yeah, fuck you, you got <laughs> you got what 12 games of Doesn't Montreal, Ottawa, and Boston. Like that's that's much that's got to watch TV. That's that's I'm I'm tuning in for every single one of those games. I don't know. I think yeah. there's something there. I think this is the perfect year to do it. You've, like I said, you've got Seattle coming in. You're going to have four divisions of eight teams. It's just too much. Like half the division misses the playoffs. Half the division makes it. Uh, the only hope, and I mean this isn't a good hope, but like the only hope is that there's still some residual effects next season of the current pandemic we're in, which is going to be. And the NHL is forced to do something like this because if everything, and it won't, but like if everything were to go back to normal for next season, like Gary Bettman's just going to revert back to the way everything was because it's just, you know, it's the easy solution to blow everything up is never easy for the NHL. And, you know, I'll give them credit. They, uh, they've done a pretty good job this year. Like we've, you know, in like a week and a half, we've already lost like 11 games from fucking being postponed. But like, Eh, they like relatively they've done a decent job you know by not committing to certain things you know they've already said like the may 8th finish date for the season is very loose and and you know very loose and whatever like yeah of course it is there's no way you're fucking finishing before that date now it's mathematically impossible but like you know credit to them for just admitting like it's going to be a work in progress and we got to try to make things work and yeah, they've done a great job. Like, mm-hmm. this season's been my favorite so far. Yeah. Have we talked about what happens, like, what we think is going to happen if they just get to a point where they have to say to Tampa or Dallas or, or whoever that, like, yeah, sorry, guys, you're not playing 56 games this year. Like, 
you, you, you get as many as you can in, but you know we're gonna have to go by point point percentage at some point. I because there has to be a cutoff. There's well, got to be a deadline. There's got to be there has to be some sort of a contingency plan, um, to which I'm not privy to. Obviously, I said it before and I'll say it again. I vehemently disagree uh, with the concept of anybody playing less games than anyone else. Uh, last year we were kind of forced into it. Um, you know, hopefully this year we don't get forced into it. I mean, but it, like it could happen, right? Like Dal- Dallas has only played what? I think they played their fourth game mm-hmm. of the season today. So you got them playing four. You got the Leafs who just played their 10th, I think, tonight or mm-hmm. maybe 11th. 10th. And uh, so they're six games behind them. If Dallas has another outbreak and misses another six games on the schedule and all of a sudden Dallas is playing game number six and the Leafs are on fucking 17-18... You know how do you get to how do you get Dallas to fifty six without making the Leafs sit for a week and a half at the end of the year kind of thing or or even worse making one of Dallas's divisional opponents sit like that and say Tampa gets to fifty six but Dallas you know gets to forty eight like how is that fair for either team yeah like that's unfair both ways you can cut it either either way right mm-hmm. um, I vehemently disagree with it I I, I think that there's uh, there's got to be a way around it. And I'm assuming the NHL hasn't worked out because they they chose to, and we we know why they chose to, but they did choose to uh, cram all these games into a very short amount of time, and that's the decision they made. So they they need to find a way to make it all sort of make sense. And uh, uh, to be honest with you, I don't think it's going to get to that point. I think that they've been. Uh, overly cautious with postponing things and I and I think that the number of cases will go down as the year goes on the number of outbreaks will go down as the year goes on as it did in the NFL um, but it's 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 not discouraging to start but I understand why your question comes up like I don't I think they'll be okay yeah. is all I'm saying like yeah. I think there's a way to get the season done by May 20th with every team playing all their games, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm just because like, Dallas I'm, is only owed four games. You can fit those in in seven days, theoretically six sure. days, really. But I'm yeah. I'm just looking at this whole going back over the last four or five months. Like, yeah, we want to start by November first, and then that turned into oh, we're going to start by New Year's Day, and then like, okay, well, like now we're starting by mid January, and uh, oh, we're going to wrap up by May eighth, and it's like okay, well now we can okay, it's going to be the end of May, and you know what I mean? Like at some point, like. You just gotta end the season, and you've you've already committed a date to Seattle. This is a group of people that sh- stood up. They paid their money. They paid their bills. Uh, we want our team. Uh, this is a league that is trying desperately to avoid any conflict with the potential Olympics mm-hmm. in August. So they're gonna have to draw a line in the sand at some point and say, like, "Hey, Dallas, uh, you just had your fourth outbreak this year. You know, sorry." Um, I agree with you. Like, I, I don't think teams should play less games, but uh, I think I me... think there's certain situations where, like, if Detroit and Nashville are both fucking both eliminated from the playoffs, and their last four games are against each other or something, yeah, all right, fuck, just cancel the rest of their games. Like, they probably should do that, right? Possibly. And just do the draft off a of point percentage because I care way less about how they do that than how they do 
playoff formatting. But then you right. get into the whole issue of player performance bonuses and contracts. and Sure, yeah. Well, you're, you already have those issues no matter what, right? But yeah. um, my point is just that, like, if they do that, that's one thing. But if you've got, if you're determining seeding of a playoff team that played 52 games against a team that played 45, give me a fucking break how, like, th- then it's going to be the reverse effect. I'm not going to give a shit about that series or like it, it just it ruins the whole integrity of the playoffs and it's partly why the bubble to me was kind of annoying me me as a, a negative nancy i would almost say like at, at this point if, if we go any further with mass outbreaks um like we've got the taxi squad for a reason you know like joe blow goes goes down with covid because he talked to the bellhop whose aunt had co- you know what i mean like there are going to be unfortunate events where one guy's going to come down with it. A couple guys are going to come down with it. That's why you have a taxi squad. But like we saw with Dallas, um, if an entire team is kind of ending up with COVID because they're not following the regulations, they're not being cautious, and they're not doing their due diligence, like, you know what? Sorry, you you, you lost your next regular season game. It's, it's a one nothing record. That's that's, that's fair. Score. But is that what happened with Dallas? Like, it was is that? I don't know if that's what happened. Well, it was bad enough to shut them shut them down for the first what week and a half of the schedule. Yeah, like it wasn't one or two guys. It was half the roster. Because the Blues, the Blues had issues, right? Like I know before the season. Yeah, I know. Uh, right now, their games are postponed because it's on Vegas's end. But didn't the Blues have issues here before? And they had issues in the bubble. So yeah. if I'm the NHL, it's like you, you guys got to get your fucking shit together. Oh man. yeah. Like, how does this keep kind of happening? No, that's know? what I mean. Like, and it, but that's like it goes to the other side of it too. Like, you can't you can't shame these guys for this stuff happening either. But look um, at Washington. Like, sure. Yeah, I mean, and 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 the NHL was right to do what they what they did to a degree. I it's mean, a, right? it's a like, dumb rule, but yeah, it's, like, it's one of those things. You know what I'm like, saying, right? Like, I, I don't agree that that should have been the rule. Yeah. Um, you know what? The whole thing, too, was for me, though, like, even on that specific incident, why, why was Alexander Ovechkin a game-time decision if he didn't have COVID? Because, like, unless the whole thing was he needed to take a test and pass the test today, which I'm assuming it was, but he was at the morning skate. So why is he at the fucking morning skate if he's got COVID and we're waiting for a negative fucking test so we can play tonight? Like, the whole thing didn't make any sense. It's like he's a game-time decision. How does that make sense if he doesn't have COVID? That whole thing was messy. Well, the only thing I can think of at that point is that's Peter Laviolette sending a message to his team. But what what's the message there? Don't go fucking hanging out and breaking the rules I, like, because I, I, I'm going to bench you if you do. Yeah, I don't care if your name's Alex Ovechkin or not. I'm I might bench you. Yeah, you know he didn't it bench could, him. It could <laughs> so be. I don't. I don't. It's a bit of a hollow threat. Yeah, he had a good but, night actually. <laughs> yeah, like, that's the other reason why I don't. I don't it's just yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't really. That's just understand where I come that. down with it. Is like. The one. the rule sucks. Like we've talked about last week, the the, the rule is dumb. The logic but, on a lot of it sucks. But the rule is the rule, and like just just follow the no, fucking I, rule. I, and I, if you don't follow yeah. it, and half your team gets COVID, then you lose the game. And I'm, and I'm sorry. Like, what are we gonna do? We're gonna hold up the entire schedule because the Carolina Hurricanes couldn't stay away from the Honky Tonks Bar and Grill for for one weekend. It's sort of amazing the geographic location of all these teams that isn't are having it? COVID interesting, issues. Isn't it? Interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah. 
One, like, one, it's like all the California teams and all of and all of Canada have been just fine. Great. Yeah, <laughs> one or two guys has a scare. No cases yet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? yeah, yeah. And I'm not trying to put ourselves in a pedestal here up north of the border, but it's just like let's let's fucking let's read the map. Let's take take a yeah. look at them red states. <laughs> yeah. No shit. Uh, what was your initial question? <laughs> What does the NHL do when we start missing oh, uh, chunks ho- of the schedule? Uh, hopefully it doesn't happen, is my attitude. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, because that's what I'm worried about. I'm, I'm just worried about the uh, the situations that we get into where we do have the NHL making a decision at the end of the year. Like they had to last year. But, but last year they were forced into it. They, they should come out now and say, here's our contingency plan. Here's what we're going to do if, instead of waiting for this to happen and then them looking, oh, hey, well, you know what? If we do it this way, if we draw the line in this shape, the New York Rangers make the playoffs. Isn't that, isn't that a nice coincidence? Isn't that nice that the New York Rangers, uh, a, a very large city and a big market for the NHL gets to make the playoffs. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you got to make the decision now to avoid those types of controversies down the road, I think. and Yeah. Um, especially for a team that technically made the playoffs last year and then lost and then went out and got Alexis Lafreniere. <clears throat> so, yeah. Just make it... I think they need to make the decision now is what I'm kind of getting at here. Like... Yeah. I'm assuming they have something worked out and they just haven't made it public, which I wouldn't actually want to know what the plan is because uh, it can't be a good plan. There's no right answer, so. I, but for me, the right answer is just tell us. Yeah, it's gonna so, okay. suck. It's gonna suck either way. But don't don't pull a fucking Brett Hull when it's too late. Well, the then, teams might know though, though, right? Like it's just like I don't but, I don't care if okay. I know, but you know, but this is like it's a fan league at the end of the day. Yeah, well, I, I, it does screw up betting and things like that too, right? So yeah, just just tell us because I, I don't want to get into that situation where. Well, we made the rule change two months ago, which just didn't tell anybody. Cost certainty. Isn't that convenient that we just didn't tell anybody? Um, uh, a little bit of uh, an update on the Pierre-Luc Dubois, Patrick Laine, uh post-trade uh, series of events. Uh, some various stories starting to trickle out uh, about each player and uh, getting a little bit more of that big picture uh, look at why this trade kind of went down. Uh, first off, let's let's start with what I think a lot of people were grasping for, especially in Ohio. Uh, why did Pierre Luc Dubois want out? And um, <laughs> he didn't tell anybody. Yeah. By all accounts, according to you, uh, Yarmo Kekalainen and uh, John Tortorella, there wasn't a reason that uh, Pierre Luc Dubois wanted out of Columbus, which yeah. uh, I will say right now I find very hard to believe, but. Um, that's the story. They're sticking to it. And obviously Dubois hasn't come out and said anything to, to uh, you know, refute that. But, um, interesting. Like, like, I suppose he doesn't have to give a reason. But. <laughs> Not when everyone knows what it is. Yeah, like, that's the thing, right? It's just like, what could the reason have been that it wasn't something that Columbus could have helped him with? Other than the spotlight in the geographical location that everyone fucking deduced was probably the reason he asked for a trade in the, in the first place 
unless he just didn't want to like it just wasn't worth the headache of being like it's torts I don't like torts I want to I don't want to play for torts and I don't want to talk about it I just don't want to play for torts <laughs> like okay that's fine but like when you're an NHL player that's like an unusual way to make a trade demand because you don't help your case necessarily if you don't help the team sell you right like it should be an open dialogue when you ask for a trade it should just be this is why I want to trade it's very clear I'm sorry things aren't working out here and I'll do my best until you trade me, but please trade me because I don't want to be here anymore. And then you try to trade the guy and you trade him. But, um, yeah, for him not to give a reason, I'm, I'm going to assume it's true just because for the sake of the discussion, uh, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. I think my favorite part about this story, though, was, um, who's his agent? Is it Darren Ferris? Yeah. Darren Ferris just being like Torts gives this interview and talks about fucking Dubois nonstop for like a week after he gets traded. And Darren Ferris like, please stop talking about my client. Don't mention him. Don't talk about him. Stop talking about him. Why are you still talking about him? It's over. Don't talk about him. That's awesome. This, this, I, I think that's so funny because it's yeah. just like, it's not even like I disagree with Darren Ferris. I think it's so funny where it's like, please forget, like, please lose my number. You know what I mean? That's fucking mint. Like, and imagine being Darren Ferris too, like sitting there going like, yeah, here's the coach that doesn't talk to the media now <laughs> that won't shut up talking Everywhere. to the media. All week. Yeah. You know what? I love, I love Lukey. Cool. That's not his name. So that's what you called him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird, if it's true, it's bizarre, but it's not, uh, like I don't care either way. I don't care. Uh, I don't need to know. I don't Columbus, give a shit. Columbus didn't didn't need to investigate if they didn't feel like they needed to. Uh, Dubois did not need to give a reason, but I, I don't get why you wouldn't. Um, yeah, bizarre. Yeah, really bizarre. Like if if it were me, it's hard for me to say. I've never played in the NHL, but like I would have told them exactly why. I would have had like a fucking five hour conversation as to why I'm asking for a trade, just so they know. And then can move forward accordingly without me. Mm -hmm. It'd be like if you quit your job at the big box grocery store and then some guy from store 1402 called you up and was like, hey, why'd you leave your job? It's like, I don't need to tell you why I left my job. I just, I did and you should be okay with that. Yeah. So. Yeah, like, I can also relate, too, to some degree. Like, it's it's weird when you're in a job interview and they're like, why did you leave that job? I'll never, I like, I'm not telling you why. I le- like, I'll never professionally put it on record why I left another job and be honest about it. You touched on it, the John Tortorella interview that he did with Sportsnet. Fucking weird, right? Came across kind of weird. Uh, it did, and I'm a torts guy. It wasn't that bad. Like, I, I I'm sure... It was weirder for you, because you don't like torts, but like I, uh, or you don't love torts anyway. But I, um, I don't know. Like I, I bought certain parts of it. I, I didn't buy certain parts of it. Um, at the end of the day, a lot of those interviews are just fluff pieces. Some of them are really good and super interesting, and some of them are just kind of. Uh, it's nice to hear this person talk in a non-press conference setting. Um, so I'm sure some fans were interested and some fans gained stuff out of it. You know what? I give Christine Simpson a lot of credit because she asked, uh, some tough questions that I don't necessarily know other people would have asked, 
But, um, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really gain anything out of it. And and that's kind of what I was curious about is, like, what did John Tortorella get out of this? Did did Jarmo Kekalainen say to him, you got to go fucking have this press conference? Because it was just such an un-Tortorella move to, to make time to go to talk to a network from a country that he is not from, that, that he is not participating in games against. Like, who is he to take Christine Simpson's call and and give her that interview? Like, if it's the local Ohio station, yeah, maybe. You know, they want to have some little insight on the local team. Sure. NBC calls you up. Okay, great. That's a national stage. The the, the team from Canada, who like, you're not even part of their bubble? Uh, I don't know. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. He didn't come out of it looking great to me. Like, he didn't, he didn't improve his image in terms of why this situation happened the way it happened. And I was left kind of no further ahead than I was when I went into it. Yeah. So, yeah, as Sportsnet, I would have rather have Pierre-Luc Dubois. Exactly. Yeah. I kind of wanted to hear from the kid that a Canadian team is now getting. And, Uh, And he's had more than enough media availability and has been great in all of it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Patrick Laine, uh during his exit from the Winnipeg Jets, stated that there were some issues with teammates Mark Shifley and well, he didn't Blake state. with it. He didn't? A finished paper stated. Finished paper. Yeah, he... Where did the finished paper get there? Not, from, <laughs> not directly from Laine, but also implied it was directly Hello, from Hello, this is Carmo... Jekyllinen? Yeah, like it it was a situation of uh, a source close to line A sort of implying that it was line A, but it also definitely wasn't line A. So um kind of surprising to hear that. Like at, at the end of the day, we we've talked a lot about hockey culture and and how it can be a very toxic place, but Without getting into the, the Mark Shifley side of things, because I, I, I haven't really seen a lot of him in the public eye, by all accounts, Blake Wheeler is one of the most like upstanding guys you could you could have on a team. Um, and, and obviously, every dressing room is different. Every dressing room is going to have those clicks and those you know inside group of friends and everything like that. But like Blake Wheeler, to me, for his entire career, just seemed like such a arms wide open let me be your best friend type of guy that for, for this to come out about him, like if it was any other two guys in the Jets, yeah, okay, I could probably just fucking assume that that might be the situation because, again, yeah. this is hockey culture. But just the name Blake Wheeler for me is such an asterisk here that it, it struck a, a chord that just didn't sit right with me. Uh, yeah, uh, Mark Shifley is also someone that I would put into that group. So I thought it was weird. Um, I think for me, the way I interpreted that, having, um, having to, having gotten to know Patrick Laine, uh, as a person from what we've gotten to know in the public eye, uh, he's always struck me as a, uh, very, very different individual, to put it incredibly politely, and, um... I really think that he's got a different outlook on a lot of things um, than a lot of other people. 
And so I'm not saying that he's wrong, and I'm not saying this did or didn't happen. I actually do think that there probably were incidents that this is story is based off of. Uh, but I find it hard to believe that it was like a fucking full-blown bullying sort of situation. I, I just said that, that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, like, there were the whole stories a year or two ago about there being a rift in the Winnipeg Jets dressing room. Is this the Vander Kane? Well, no, well, no, that's completely separate. But do you remember, like, at the end of the year, a couple of years, I think it was a year they went to the Western Conference Final. Like, after in the playoffs, and then, like, in the offseason, there was a whole story about how there was, like, unrest in the Jets dressing room. And so they all came to training camp, and there was sort of this black cloud all over the Winnipeg Jets, and Blake Wheeler literally day one was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, this is the t- tightest knit group I've ever been a part of. Keep it bear, like bearing that in mind. That group includes twenty five different people, several of which left in the off season, and you get new people every year. Like a dressing room's only as tight as it's ever going to be. But the thing with the Jets is, it's always struck me to be like that's struck me as the strength of the Jets. Like they seem like they're all very close, very good friends. You know what I mean? And uh, the only few incidences I can think of over the few years of that not being the case are Line and Evander Kane and Bufflin. And those first two were notorious for having attitude problems. And so, like, I'm not saying Line did anything wrong or that the team treated him perfectly either. But I just, I honestly think there was probably a personality conflict between Line and, and the veterans and some of the other guys on the team because uh, for the first few years he was on the team, Line wasn't good. Uh, he didn't back check. He was a black hole defensively. He couldn't skate. Like we've talked about this before. And he can shoot the puck and has insanely good offensive instincts. But in a full 60 minute game, he was generally bad. And so maybe he took certain things the wrong way, or maybe there were blow-ups that he took to heart kind of thing. All I'm saying is I find it hard to believe that there was a fucking full-blown coup to get Patrick Laine out of Winnipeg from Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley. I, uh, if I find that to be true, I will be genuinely shocked. I just can't see it. Mm. Fair enough. Um, speaking of wanting out in a bad way, Sam Bennett has expressed interest on leaving the Calgary Flames, um, asking formally for a trade out of town. Uh, this obviously changing up the narrative that we uh, uh, have been long assuming is the Johnny Goudreau trade. So we'll uh, shift the burners here a little bit and mm-hmm. talk about a different player. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess first off, we'll start with uh, like where is this coming from? And then maybe we'll follow that up with where he might go and what he might be worth. Um, Sam Bennett, uh, just just not a, a just not a cowboy heart. <laughs> the mustache seems to indicate otherwise. Uh, interesting, interesting. Um, Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett's an interesting one. I uh, I think every player gets to a point um, where it's just kind of natural to move on from a team. And I do think Sam Bennett is at that point in Calgary. He's never really seemed uh, like a comfortable fit, both with himself and with the with the organization, and I guess with the fan base to a degree. 
Like, I just don't... Like, Sam Bennett's a first-round pick that has never really lived up to first-round pick expectations. And that's fine. He's a fourth overall pick. He's not a fucking... You know, he's not like a 20th overall pick. Like, what Sam Bennett reminds me of is uh, Trevor Lewis. Where he's just like, he's a solid NHL player. Like, there's a lot of good things he does well. Um, But I don't really look at him as an impact player. And that's what Calgary thought they were getting. So I think some fans are really expecting him to still kind of hit that limit. And he's a, he's 24. Like, it's not it's not like he is what he is. But I think with Sam Bennett, he probably is what he is, you know? And uh, so I think it's fair for him to, to want a fresh start because I think he probably believes he has more to give. Um, one issue with Bennett, too, is like Bennett is someone that I look at as a very solid uh, bottom six player and a very like decent complimentary second line winger maybe but Sam Bennett by all reports is a lot more comfortable at center he plays better at center I've heard a lot of people say that he, he just looks better at center and uh, I don't really know that that's a spot where the Flames are going to be able to play him higher than the fourth line ever like they're at a spot where they want to play Lindholm at center that's fair. He's probably your best forward, other than Kachuk. Uh, they have Monaghan. And they have Michael Backlund. So, <laughs> how's Bennett getting in its center above any of those other guys? He never will. Um, so, I think it's fair that he, he wants a, a, a change of scenery. I completely understand that, because I think that that's... Uh, I, I think that's where he's at. Like, I just, I agree with that. He's someone I'm kind of surprised hadn't asked for a trade up until this point. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I, I think that, like, Sam Bennett was a guy I remember being pretty high on uh, when he was drafted. And thinking, like, wow, Calgary, like, you know, maybe they jumped a few spots on him. But I thought, like, yeah, this is a guy that could really fit into the mold here and be a pretty effective, like, second-line guy uh, in the Flames organization. And aside from a really promising rookie year, um, it's just kind of been downhill ever since then, and he's never really lived up to the same lofts that he had. Um, He's never even had the same level of, like, ice time going back to that rookie. Like, you're a rookie, you come in, and if you're getting less and less ice time every year after that, how are you supposed to improve? Yeah. Right? And, you know, I, I can't off the top of my head looking at what I have in front of me here remember the the ebbs and flows of the Calgary Flames coaching system, but whether he fell out of sorts with, you know, uh, Jeff Ward or if he fell out of sorts with, you know, the, the, the people before him, um, you're right. It just, it, I think it's run its course for him in, in Calgary. I think there's still a pretty good hockey player here somewhere. Um, and if, if they can find a role for him in a market that's willing to give him second or third line minutes at center, I think you might find that Sam Bennett might have a bit of a turnaround yeah. in terms of, of, of who he is as, as an NHL player. I'm, I'm not saying he's ever going to live up to being a fourth overall pick. He's probably, in all by all accounts, a bit of a bust when you look at uh, comparables taken at that position in, in, in the years around him. But it is what it is. You're, you're, you're never, ever going to be sure about a guy uh, at 18 years old 
So I, I think you're right. He's 24. If he can move on at this point, he can probably still salvage his career, still you know cash in on that next big paycheck, and uh, might be best for both sides to just kind of wash their hands of the situation and and uh, and try to make the best of it. I do want to make a bit of a declaration here about the Calgary Flames. Something that I've precious, been thinking about a little precious bit. Precious declaration. Oh, it's definitely not precious for oh. your Calgary fan. Well, actually, no. This might be good news for your Calgary fan. Is um, think about when Sam Bennett played his first NHL game, which was in 2014-2015. The head coach of the team was Bob Hartley. Okay. Wow. Um, it's been a while. And since he made his NHL debut, the Flames have had four different head coaches. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's never easy when you're a young player to never really get that direction. But what I'm also going to argue on top of it, and this is probably going to be hard to take in if you're a Calgary Flames fan, they really haven't developed any player uh, that was... That came into the league around that time, uh, up until now, they haven't really developed anyone all that well. You can make an argument with Andrew Mangiapane now that he's becoming a bit of a player. But aside from that, a lot of the guys they have on their team now that you think of as a good young player kind of made themselves that way. A lot of the good young players that they had on the roster at that time that have since had good years were high-end draft picks that were always going to kind of turn out that way. My point is that I don't really think that they made anything out of a lot of their prospects that ordinarily other teams would have, right? You look at the Jets and they've developed like a guy like Andrew Kopp, like we talked about last week, into now a good two-way player. And they've done that a bunch of times with good players. And uh, other organizations that have found ways to develop guys. my, My argument is that I don't think Sam Bennett ever really stood a chance. And um, I think that Bradtree Living has done a very good job managing his roster. But the Flames have failed at points to bring in the right coaches, to bring in the right development staff, to bring in uh, anyone to turn their draft picks into something they already this into something they should have been. Because another example of a guy they failed is Mark Jankowski, right? This is a guy that they brought in. The whole thing was, uh, you know, everyone, he was the, he was, remember that kid at the draft this summer where no one knew who he was? Mm-hmm. Jankowski was that pick a few years ago, right? Where everyone at the draft, like Pierre Maguire instantly was like, wow, this, this is a reach. Like, this is a guy who, he's got talent, but this is a project and they're going to need, they're going to need to mold him. I'll never forget Pierre Maguire saying that. And they didn't. The guy fucking didn't score a goal last year or whatever. Like, they didn't turn him into anything. And whether that's his fault or the Flames' fault, the Flames have failed guys in the past to the point where it kind of falls on them. I think Bennett falls into that category. Yeah, that, that that's a very fair kind of comparison. Some of it might um, be on Bennett, too. But I think he falls into that. I, I'm, I'm looking real quick at their, their draft picks here over the years, and... You know, I think you nailed it. Like, there's a lot of guys here that have just kind of gone by the wayside. A lot of a lot of names that you remember thinking, you know, like oh, they're going to be, you know, big time guys for the Flames. Like Tyler Parsons, we're still waiting on Tyler Parsons, uh, supposed to be the goalie of the future for the Calgary Flames. And some uh, external factors there. I don't know if you know about that. No, I don't actually. 
Yeah, he's he, he's had some mental health issues, oh, so he's okay. kind of he's working on some stuff. My, my apologies, but, to Tyler Parsons. Well, but but it's but still though, like like they do have guys in their system. Like it's another guy too. Like Oliver Shillington is a guy where you know they have high hopes for him, but he they also put him on waivers a few mm-hmm. weeks ago, right? So where do you kind of you know reconcile that pick? It's just like they always have young guys where it's like wow they have a bright future, but like. Other than Mangiapane, I can't really think of a guy in the last few years that they've really turned into much. Sure. Like, Dubé's a good player, and Dubé's playing high up in their lineup. But Dubé might be the next guy where it's like four years from now, and he's still putting up 30, 40 points, and it's like, well, he could have been a 50, 60, 70-point guy had they, you know what I mean, done mm-hmm. some things differently. Like, it's just, I I think they've failed some players, and, and I think Sam Bennett is probably just sick of it. You know, yeah. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see where where he ends up, where he goes, and 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 what they get for him. Because, like I said, I, I think there's still a pretty good middle six centerman here in Sam Bennett. But do other GMs see the situation and and kind of say, well, you know, here here's a guy that you're barely playing on your fourth line. Why would I give up a promising asset for him? He's already 24 years old. You know, you're not getting a, a 21-year-old prospect at this point. So it might be a tough pill to swallow for the Calgary Flames to, to move on from this guy. But I, I think at the end of the day, you, it's it's going to be best for both sides. I would uh, gladly welcome him on the third line of the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> okay. Gladly. Okay. But not at center. But he, so he oh, like okay. Yeah, yeah. I was very confused. No, we got a, we got a center. No, yeah. we're, we're good. We I thought got, we, we, got, I thought we, got we had that fucking, position no, figured no, no, out. No, we got Kerfoot. We're good. Okay. We, like, we like our guy. Uh, speaking of the Calgary Flames and the Toronto Maple Leafs, Matthew Kachuk uh, and Jake Muzzin. <laughs> oh, I didn't know we were going to talk about that for uh, sure. They, they met. Uh, yeah. They're going to meet a few more times in yeah. the uh, Scotiabank North Division. Yeah. Um, Bit of backstory here. We got Game 1, Flames and Leafs. Jack Campbell in net, the backup goaltender for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, gets hurt, making making a save or a Jim's movement. Going full TSN and, and highlight at some point. Yeah. commentator yeah, right I'm, now. I'm, I like actually, this is my like... Fuck, that was cool. This is my... Uh, <laughs> we got Game 1, let's go here. It's like Jay and Danny, and I'm just sitting there in the background. Soupy, eh? They call him Soupy in Toronto, just saying a bunch of stupid shit. Heir to the Campbell's soup fortune. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually Bill's a Jets fan. Yeah, I'm actually easy there. This is my application. I'm going to send this into the TSN headquarters <laughs> uh, when we're done. But uh, it's the first round of the Masters. Uh. We got Jets. We got Leafs. Um, <laughs> You're off the case, Bobrovsky. Yeah. Uh, there's a reason we don't do the uh, uh, Are They Related segment on the podcast. Mostly because it's not a visual presentation and uh, it would be very difficult to pull off. But uh, Anyway, uh, Calgary Flames, Trump Maple Leafs Game 1, Jack Campbell and Nett, uh gets hurt during a, a save or a movement of some sort. Guts it out. There's no whistle. The play goes on. We get to a point where there's a pile up in front of the net. And Matthew Kachuk ends up on top of Jack Campbell. Now, I've seen the video. You've seen the video. The people at home that are listening to this podcast particularly have probably seen the video because they're listening to this podcast particularly, so they probably <clears throat> kind of absorbed a lot of hockey information. Hockey guys, yeah. Um, 
I am not going to make the damning declaration here and now that anything was intentional by Matthew Kachuk against Jack Campbell in that instance. You go watch the video for yourself and tell me what you think, and I will disagree with you one way, or I will agree with you the other way. That being said, okay. Jack Campbell's out. He's going to miss a few weeks. Had nothing to do, by all accounts, with the Matthew Kachuk situation. Game two, two nights later, rematch, Leafs and Flames. Everyone's talking about the big, the big revenge plot here. It never comes. It ends up being a very tight hockey game. One goal game again. And uh, the Flames press at the end, and they got the goalie pulled, and Matthew Chuck goes in the corner trying to get the puck, and the buzzer goes. And Jake Muzzin turns around, and he flips the puck at Matthew Kachuk. Which, according to some people online, specifically from the province of Alberta, was the same as if Jake Muzzin walked into Matthew Kachuk's house and shot him in the chest Mm. with a gun. That's how bad this was. Mm -hmm. Um, He didn't turn around and wind up and slap the puck in his face. He didn't turn around and two-hand him over the head with his stick. Yeah, he flipped the puck at him. Kind of a little little nod, a little, "We, we know you're there. We didn't like what you did, but the two points were more important than the two minutes in the sim bin. Matthew Kachuk goes off the rails. He, he, he flies up. He goes after Jake Muzzin after embarrassing himself by not being able to catch and or swat a hockey puck. Um, and then gets off the ice, murders a hand sanitizer bottle, and denies Mark Giordano... Was. From leaving the ice. Mark Giordano is still on the ice at the Saddle Dome. He can't get off because Matthew Kachuk slammed the player's bench door oh, so hard no it welded shut. And Mark Giordano is still stuck. He can't get off. No wonder they lost the next game, yeah. Your thoughts on the situation? Uh... <laughs> Uh, the re- so I I submitted a bunch of topics for us to talk about tonight for ja- to James for yeah. him to pick. It was like a it was like and, a mailbag for me. And I think in the in the brackets I just put I don't care for something <laughs> like that. Like because I I I don't care. Like as a Leaf fan, I should be uh, I should be very angry about all this. And uh, as a if I were a Flames fan, I should be very angry. I don't care. I don't uh, I don't. I don't know if Kachuk fell on Campbell on purpose or not. Uh, to me, it it didn't look like he did, but he also was very close to Campbell, and falling was always going to be a possibility. So that was a choice he made. Yeah. Um. So for me, the thing was that uh, the Leafs should be angry with a guy on top of their goalie because that's just how hockey should work. I don't care. I'm that's not a new age thing for me. Uh no one should ever touch the goalie 50 years from now I'm going to believe that. Um Bogosian pushed him off and that was the end of it to me. Um I think the Leafs should have been a little bit more upset considering their goaltender was hurt at the time, but that's um it it doesn't really change the outcome of the game, so it's not a really it's not a huge thing. Um 
So I I am not necessarily of the mind that Kachuk did that on purpose, but I I he knew it was a hurt goaltender. He went in hard. He sure didn't try and, to get out of the uh, way. No, no, but but I'm not I'm not sure that he should have. Uh, but um, the Leafs are right to be mad about it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, the Leafs are the Leafs are right to be to feel however they want to feel about it because anyone touching your goaltender I think is uh, that's up for interpretation. To be honest with you, so I have no issue with uh, the Leafs and Leaf fans being upset. I'm just saying I I'm not I, I I'm not. I, if I were uh, on the Leafs, I would have been upset. But as a fan, I think I think that's just part of the game. Um, however, uh, I, I I don't really know that uh, that anyone should be upset about what happened uh, after the game the other night, including Matthew Kachuk. And here's the part that the Flames fans are not going to like. If you're invisible for 60 minutes after a game where you got called out for purpose, purposely falling on top of a goalie, apparently. Okay, apparently. Let's just say that happened. Uh, and your response was, oh, that's fucking classic. And then you go out and you play fucking invisible hockey for 60 minutes. And then you decide to blow up? Grow the fuck up. Show the fuck up for your shifts that you had the first 60 fucking minutes. That's fucking embarrassing to me. That, that that that's that's bullshit. Eighteen year old fucking hockey. Because if this guy's supposed to be the best player on their team and he's invisible, the only excuse there should be, and he hasn't said anything, so this might have been why he's upset, is that he played like shit. That's maybe not the right reaction to you playing like shit. But that's the only thing he had to be mad about. To me, I I don't think the puck flick is anything, and. Uh, uh, if if he was trying to act like a big boy after being a, a absolute ghost out there for sixty minutes, I, I think that's that's a joke. So uh, he has right to um, he has right to maybe make a comment or two to Jake Muzzin, and he has right to kind of uh, go after him and start a little scrum like he did. That's fine, but the freakout on the bench was completely unnecessary and. Uh, uh, if I were his coach, he doesn't play the next game. I don't care what fucking level of hockey you're in. You don't play the next game uh, in midget when you do that kind of stuff for me. So you certainly don't in the NHL. That's fucking that. That's that's insane for a guy that's making seven million dollars a year to fucking freak out like that. So uh, I thought the freak out at the end was ridiculous. Other than that, the whole thing was was nonsense. I, I thought it was just gimmicks. Uh, um, everything else aside, but uh, he made an absolute fool of himself. So uh, good for him. I mean. That- <laughs> I think the alternative there is that he goes out there and, and what, fights Wayne Simmons, spends five minutes in the box, and that's the end of it. Um, I think that's a lot of, I think that's the way a lot of Leaf fans want well, to see it happen. But, here's, here, this is my point I'm getting at, though. The incident aside, Matthew Kachuk is a guy that I think most people recognize as a, what's, I, I want to be liberal here, like I don't want to, I don't want to put him too high. But I think most people would put him at least top, what, 20 winger in the league? Like, at least, right? Like, he might be top 10 for me. But, like, so, regardless, top 20. I think everyone can agree on that. So, when he's the best player on the Calgary Flames, after that shit goes down, he's the one getting called out. Shouldn't he be the first guy out there, uh... They, you know, first time they get the puck, he chips the puck in and fucking takes an absolute run at a Leaf defenseman and gets, tries to get everybody going kind of thing. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I don't remember a single thing he did that game. There are nights where you say that. I actually don't remember seeing him. 
He was, might have been one of the worst games of his career for all I know. I don't know anything he did. He almost tipped a puck in, I think, once. I was told that. I didn't actually see that. And I watched the whole 60-minute game. Uh, I, I don't know. It's just, to me, if you come out there and you respond to that like shit, um, that's on you. And I, I have no sympathy for him freaking out at the end of the game because I think uh, I think he... he um, didn't show up for a team that he's supposed to be the best player on. So that was that would that to me kind of bothered me if I were on his team or his coach or anything like that. It, that bugged me. Mm-hmm. That should have been a big night for Matt Kachuk. Whether or not they win the game, he should have been there. He wasn't there. Uh yeah, I, I don't know. I I I thought it was a whole lot of fire for a whole lot of smoke for uh not a lot of fire it was a lot of fun to me that's all it was interesting but and it's gonna be a lot of fun the, the next thing year. At, the thing at the end pissed me off because i just i don't agree to reacting like that when you when you play like shit yeah you gotta you gotta now, respond if, better now, than that, but. now if jake Buss is flipping pucks at you and, and you've just won the game different story uh oh, oh sorry if, go if on. the leafs lose and jake muzzin's the one flipping pucks at back to chuck and you just lost well, the game? Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I loved it from Muzzin necessarily. I don't I don't disagree with it uh, that much. I, I think it's uh, I think it's a little unsportsmanlike regardless, but I, I'm not really saying that it's uh, the end of the world. Um, and, and like I said, I think Kachuk was right to get up in Muzzin's face. It was just the blow up on the bench that bugged me. You know, uh, for him to start that scrum, fuck yeah, 100% he should have. He should have been pissed. No doubt about that. I don't think he had any right to be pissed enough to fucking throw a little uh, hissy fit on the on the bench like that, though. That was embarrassing. Like that's just I don't know. Um, I don't know. That's just embarrassing to me. Now uh, over under, uh, I'll set it at five and a half minutes. Uh, we'll we'll not in, we'll, we won't include the uh, the post game coach speech to the players. That that's that's player coach time. Uh, so taking that away. Uh, over under five and a half minutes. How long did it take Drew Doughty to send out a, a congratulatory text to Jake Muzzin? Under, under. Okay. Yeah, Doughty. Well, doesn't get his shot. This they might have been playing so. that night, but yeah. but from the amount of time it took Doughty to see it to text Muzzin, okay, okay. under okay. ninety seconds. Okay. I guarantee you, he had his phone out and he was laughing, watching it. Okay, I guarantee. Maybe it was you. maybe it was a snap. Then send him a snap. Of yeah, the like I yeah. I have no doubt. That Drew Doughty fucking hates Makachuk. I, I I know he does. So he, he says no Doughty. Yeah. Um, real quick, we're a little tight on time here, but uh, real quick, Travis Konechny scratched by the Philadelphia Flyers uh, for their game last night, uh, leading the team in goals. By all accounts, I, I shouldn't even say by all accounts. He's, he he is healthy. Uh, there, there's nothing here to worry about in terms of uh, his health. There's no COVID issues, but that we can tell, he just didn't play. Um, bizarre is the first word that comes to mind. Alain Vigneault cited poor five-on-five play, which I don't. That doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Uh, All right. Well, I, like, I would hate to like, be a Philadelphia Flyer right now. Like but... I get scratching someone, but like I don't know if Konechny is at scratch level. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I think a lot of the uh, five-on-five play has a lot to do with who the coach is putting out there. Ah, oh, yes, interesting. sir. That, can, lot, that, <laughs> that roster is loaded. Like, if you look at that roster, yeah. they are absolutely loaded. Yeah. There's no 
<laughs> just play Konechny on the fourth line. That they shouldn't be That'll send the same message, and you have the added bonus of having Travis Konechny in the lineup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... Man, like, it's just like... I, I get motivational tactics, but scratching a guy who's, like, borderline in the lineup, that's how... That, like, that's how you get to that guy, right? But for one of your star players to scratch him... Like, I, if I'm Konechny, it's the fucking season of asking for trades. Like, we didn't even talk about Vince Dunn. All these pe- people asking for fucking trades this year. If I'm Konechny, fucking ask to get out of town. Because you're the future of that team. Konechny is Giroux 12 years ago. Like, that's Konechny's team in a few years. Mm-hmm. And you're fucking scratching him like, okay... But he's a star player, and he's one of the best players on your team. And he's like, he like I didn't look. He's got to be second on the team of points, right? Like Vorchek's the only guy that could have more points than him. I think. Connecting is eight and eight. He's having a great year. Yeah, yeah. He's he's doing great. Vorchek has like I'm, ten, and the only reason I know that is I have him in fantasy. I am a proud Travis Connecting fantasy owner, and I was not happy to. I wouldn't be happy. Yeah, I almost <laughs> kept him. I would have been fucking living. <laughs> the, the guys I kept. You can we do a quick little rundown? Like it's quite it's quite the roller coaster. Okay. Okay. You think about the guys I kept. Right. Okay. So I kept Carter Hart in the eighth round. Oh yeah. He's been fine. He hasn't. He hasn't been good, but you, you he'll expect, be fine. You expected more. He'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Okay. I kept uh, Mitch Marner in the seventh round. Oh, fucking pretty fucking steal. good. Pretty good. Big steal. I kept uh, Patrick Line. Uh, we'll see. In the fourth. Might be blocking more shots for you in the, not, in the next few games. So not not too good. Mm. Not too good. Uh, I don't even remember like the main guy I kept. I also kept Ryan O'Reilly in the fifth, who has not been good. Mm. <laughs> he's he like he's not even winning faceoffs right now. Like something's wrong with him. I don't know what's what's wrong with him. It's not good. Who was the other guy I kept? I don't know, buddy. Oh, Patrick Kane. He's been fine. Hey, Whatever. You, His you team always sucks. keep Patrick Kane. Yeah, I'm not gonna not keep yeah. Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane. It's it's kind of like it's kind of like the discussion we had where. It might be time for Jimmy Rutherford to not keep Patrick Kane in fantasy, but he's just not going to do it. Am I the Jimmy Rutherford of our fantasy we'll league? See who you keep next year. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh dear! Uh, you know what? You know what's funny? You know what's funny about that comparison, though? I do genuinely pick a lot of the same guys year after year, to the point where. And you're the, you were in the draft room, and some of the people listening to this podcast were, but not everyone. To the point where, eleven rounds into the draft, I took Mackenzie Blackwood, and then announced to the rest of the league that of the ten or eleven players I had taken at that point, he was the first who had not been on my roster the year previous. Not a lot of growth. I like it. Same thing. <laughs> Keep going back to the guys you know, Jimmy Rutherford. Yeah. Keep going back to the guys you know. Don't know who to pick. Fucking trade for Connor Sheary. Trade for Connor Sheary. Yeah. Yeah. If uh, Casper Captain doesn't work out as a draft pick, maybe he'll work out as a 24-year-old. Who knows? Yeah. Um, to, put, to put a little bow on it, because we didn't actually talk about it, um, your, your, your 22nd or less answer, uh, who do the Penguins bring on to replace Jimmy Rutherford? Ooh. So It's Pierre, right? Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Johnson talked about it tonight. Um, he made a couple interesting points. He said he thinks that the three front runners at this point are uh, Scott Mellenby, who's the assistant general manager in uh, Montreal right now. Uh, Mellenby is who I think they're going to go with. Um, it just makes sense. 
there's a connection there between him and Mario Lemieux. It's kind of through Mark Bergevin, but um, I think it makes sense. I could see it. Their ideal choice is Tom Fitzgerald in New Jersey. The reason that, and, and Johnson explained this, I actually didn't know this. The, the reason that it doesn't make sense is because Fitzgerald is technically under contract beyond this year with the Devils, but not as the general manager, which is interesting. Like, they have him under contract as a, a coaching consultant and something else, but not as a GM. Like, he actually is technically a free agent GM at the end of the year. Um... I don't think they'll go with him, but I think that's who they would go with if he's available and, and should go with if he's available. Um, he mentioned a name, and I and I thought of a name. Uh, he mentioned John Ferguson Jr., <laughs> which he thinks it's at a point where he's earned another chance. As a Leaf fan, I'm just fascinated to see it. So, <laughs> like, I, I'm almost rooting for the guy now where it's like, yeah, fuck, let's see who's right and who's wrong here. You know what I mean? Like, fuck. We've been debating it for years. The worst GM in the history of hockey. Let's see it again, maybe. Uh, I also don't kind of wish for it, though, because I want Sidney Crosby to win another Stanley Cup. Um, so that's a fascinating one because his name's kind of been out there for years, but this is now the closest he's actually been to being like a legitimate candidate for an NHL GM. Uh, my other thought was Jason Botterill because Jason Botterill was the guy... Uh, that they kind of groomed to maybe be the next general manager, got the opportunity in Buffalo, didn't really do much for it, and now he's, as far as I know, just kind of out there. I don't really think he's working anywhere. So Jason Botterill would be another guy that I could see them going with. I'm not really sure that it would be my choice. But, um, I mean, like, uh, with with everything mentioned, I would, I would, uh, I would go with Ron Hextall. But I don't think that he would want to be the GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins. No, so, no. Yeah, oh. like it, like like that's maybe the only team where it's just like if you called him, he'd probably tell you to fuck off. That'd be cool. How quickly does Sidney Crosby put in for his own trade request when they hire Pierre Shirelli? But then does he give the trade request to Pierre Shirelli to make the trade? Oh, that gets that gets tricky, doesn't it? Just a can, can of worms. Are we going to do... Can we do some sort of an exercise one time where we talk about where we would, like, least like to see Sidney Crosby? And, like, you know what I mean? Like, like say he were to move on from Pittsburgh. Like, I want to do some sort of an exercise one time. Not an overrated, underrated favorite, least favorite. Like, a little <laughs> more expanded than that. But I want to discuss how disgusting it would be to see Sidney Crosby in another jersey. And yeah, watch watch Thursday happen. for our bonus episode. Uh, yeah. Right. To- I just talk about how how wrong it would be to see him playing for the St. Louis Blues. You just pictured it. It's not good, is it? Think about it. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Pretty um, bad. There's not many worse, and for some, even though they're a good team, that'd be bad. It just looks wrong, right? Think about that. Yeah. Think about them wearing that red jersey that they got this year. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, anyone wearing that jersey, but especially Sidney Crosby. Our bonus episode, Sign of the Crosby. I don't know. Sign of the Crosby. Yeah, sign of the Cross. So oh, gotcha. Cross, I gotcha. I don't know. Um, overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite. You've got one for us. Oh, is this, that where we're at? Yeah. This oh, that's is it. it. This is it. Oh, this, nice. Yeah. yeah so, um, interesting one tonight. Uh, and, and when I say interesting, it's just interesting for me because I didn't tell James what we're gonna do. We're just gonna do it off the off the off, off the, the hop here. Yeah. Uh, now, 
James, we've been talking about him for a few weeks. I, I just think it's time to, to bear down and just, just kind of dissect a little bit of the history of this franchise. I'm looking for your overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite Columbus Blue Jackets player of all time. okay they've had four players yeah yeah about well they've had four players for more than a few seasons actually is what uh, because a lot of guys have played there right you got your marion gabbricks you got your jeff carters uh you got your your manny mahaltras you got your uh artemi panarins you got your pierre luke dubois some people have stopped off there uh on the course to something better gabrick carter panarin Dubois, a whole trip. Yeah, no, that, that list checks out. That's right. That's right. That's right. But yeah, um, so overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite. Now, like overrated is a tough one because uh, I don't know if anyone gets rated necessarily uh, as like a good player when they play for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like, I don't know if anyone really uh, thinks about guys while they're there. But we're gonna have to assume someone does. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my overrated is is probably gonna be um, uh, it's between two guys. I'm gonna go Steve Mason. Is your overrated? Yeah. Okay. I I was gonna go Nick Foligno. Uh, I'm gonna go Steve Mason. It's just like when Steve Mason was in Columbus, he had some good years, but Steve Mason sort of got talked about as like the second coming of Christ. When he was there, and he had a nine sixteen year the year that he was a rookie, and then beyond that he was barely like a nine hundred goalie the rest of the four years. Um, like he does get talked about as like one of the best goalies in franchise history, and I do understand that until Bobrovsky, they really hadn't had anyone. But like when you think about the best goalies in Columbus Blue Jackets history, is he even in the top five? Because, like, it's Bobrovsky. Like, Corpus Allo's probably up there. He's been there a long time, like, even though he didn't play a lot of games. Like, LeClaire probably was better there. Like, I'm just saying, I don't know that Steve Mason would be, like, the shrine of goaltending history for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And I think he is often thought of as one of their best goaltenders in franchise history. He's up there. But, uh, like, I think they have two goalies right now that are probably going to end up on that list more than... Mason will. So, I'm going Steve Mason, even though I like the dude. Uh, I wanted to go Nick Foligno because I don't like him. Um, but he, he's had a good career there. I couldn't make that case. Uh, nothing else you want to say about Steve Mason while I still think about an underrated uh, uh, option? Eh? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean we, could just have, we could just have dead air and I could just cut it out. <sighs> yeah. Um, Do you want me to like play it? Like, if, if you want to pause here... I could just play like a random sound clip and then you could just talk after the sound clip. Like you could just take as much time. No, no, I, I can do this. I recommend you try another sport like knitting. Um, all right. My overrated blue jacket is going to be a guy that probably didn't play there that long but Er. i always think is more closely related as being a blue jacket doobie westcott Mm -hmm. yeah um oh wow he did not play there long at all 
Uh, I, I was I was going to say Pascal Leclerc. Okay. Um, he would be your overrated? Yeah. Whom I thought was like the starting goalie for like five years, six years. Um, and by this was a starting goaltender for one season. Yeah. Um, and, that, and a season he was pretty good in. That's what I mean. So, like, the, And that, that sort of, that's what I was getting at, right? It's like the year where Leclerc was good was way more valuable to the Blue Jackets than the year that Mason was good, mm. right? Mm. Like, it's not like Leclerc was unbelievable the whole time he was there. It's just like, you know, like, they 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 almost made the playoffs because of Pascal Leclerc. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's that's very fair. So I've I've already made a pick, and I already regret it immediately. So Oh, so you're sticking with Leclerc? Yeah. No, I've, I've made my bet. <laughs> I'll lay okay. it. Okay. I, um... I just want to tell you something too that's a little bit fun because I'm I'm looking up numbers here. You're a fun here. guy. Uh, thank you. Um, the Columbus Blue Jackets have such a uh, I'll just say a poor history, <laughs> and uh, have been around for 20 years. Yes, the hundredth highest scoring Blue Jacket of all time. Okay, is Jamie Pusher. Okay. Who played 147 games and got 22 points. Okay. Now, as pathetic as that is, the 97th highest scoring Blue Jacket of all time is Marion Gabryk, who had 22 points in 34 games. The 95th highest scoring Blue Jacket of all time (laughs) is Jeff Carter. Four hours later. Who had? The 67th. <laughs> Jeff Sanderson? <laughs> Crazy, right? No, yeah, but it, it, it's just pathetic. Um, underrated. Actually, no, this is an easy one for me. I don't I don't know why I stalled for so long. Uh, underrated Columbus Blue Jacket of all time. Uh, it's Aspen Knutsen for me. Ah, Norway. Uh, Aspen Knutsen had 108 points in 188 games for the Columbus Blue Jackets. Was, I believe, fourth or fifth in Selkie voting in the one really good year he had. He went to the All-Star game. And uh, unfortunately, and not to be a downer, but uh, Aspen Knutsen's NHL career somewhat derailed by the uh, incident in which he shot a puck, I believe that still hit a stick, uh, that went up. Hit a young fan in the in the stands. Uh, the young fan unfortunately passed away due to the injuries. And Espen Knutsen, I think he played for a brief time afterwards, but he he retired uh, shortly afterwards because he was uh, very upset about it. Um, but he was a fucking great player, mm. and uh, it's sort of an unfortunate incident. I don't I don't really blame him for being upset. Um, like sort of silver lining to come from the situation is that's why we now have the netting on both ends of yeah. the rink. Like there was a time where we didn't have that, and um, not that he's the reason for that, but like Aspen Knutz, like that incident sort of led to that. And uh, um, but when he when he was there, when he was healthy, when he played, he was very very good for the Columbus Blue Jackets. He was uh, very awesome, like incredible skater at the time. Like he was, you know. Uh, a freaking lightning bolt out there at the time where no one could skate. So it was kind of a treat to watch him play. His numbers sort of faded off toward the end of his career. But, uh, yeah, Espen Knutsen, my underrated Columbus Blue Jacket. Nice. That's a good pick. Um, 
I, I feel like, I don't know if anyone's going to get this reference. I know you will, and that's kind of all that matters. But um, I feel kind of like Sean McIndoe from Puck Soup right now because sure. I feel like I'm coming up with answers that are, like, they're my guess. Like, when, whenever they do, like, a pop culture overrated, underrated, and he's just like, ah, here's a band I think's underrated. And it's like, well, yeah, no, that's Guns N' Roses, buddy. Like, that's that's a pretty popular band. Um, the difference is, is that uh, that podcast is not about music. So if he doesn't know stuff about music, that that's that's fine. Like he doesn't need to go to work every day and, and, mm-hmm. and learn these things. Um, we are a hockey podcast doing a hockey overrated, underrated, and I'm coming up with an answer that I I don't feel great about, and I'm admitting that up front. But um, my underrated is David Verborny. Is 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 that allowed? Is he underrated? Yeah. Okay. He he was almost my answer um but most people don't know who Espen Knutson is but like David Verborny was very good for most of his career I, I liked him yeah spent his entire year uh, entire career in Columbus which not a lot of people can say and um gradually just kind of got better and better as the years went on and and uh he retired at 33 from the NHL I don't know what he did after that if he went back to the Czech Republic and and kept oh he did yeah you know look at this he went back to the Czech Republic and had uh uh, a nice little run until the uh, till the age of thirty-seven. Good for him. Good for good for him. David mm-hmm. Borny. Always liked him. Big fan. Number nine. Okay. Yeah. I don't really know what it is. I don't know if it's maybe like they just have a tendency to sign players that I like, or if I like players because they've played for the Blue Jackets. I don't know what it is. There's something about the Blue Jackets I just kind of like. But my favorite Columbus Blue Jacket player of all time is Rick Nash. Uh, Rick Nash, one of my favorite players of all time. I think Rick Nash is uh, uh, among the coolest people to ever play in the NHL. I think Rick Nash fucking kicks ass. So I, I'm going Rick Nash here. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Rick Nash would have also been my answer. Uh, but in the, in the interest of, you know, keeping it fresh, keeping it uh, fun, uh, Jack Bre- Johnson. No. Um, the Bradman? No. Do you like, do you like Panarin? I never I think, hear you talk I think, about I think he's overrated, but he's 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 fine. Overrated? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, just to change it up, let's let's have some fun. Andrew Castles. Uh, no, uh, Rodoslav Klesla. Always liked him. Is that a serious answer? Yeah. <laughs> What's not to like? Right. No, I like Rusty, Rusty. Klesla. Again, like I, I... The best number 97 again, ever played Again, like, like, dude, my answer was almost Christian Huselius, for fuck's sakes. Okay, like, I, I, I can... Man, they, they've had a lot of cool guys. Fucking... Because they mostly... Like, they're just neat because guys... Columbus is like a stop on your NHL career. It's never, like, the destination. But it's always a stop. Right? Like, Ray Whitney played there for, like, two and a half years. Sergei Fedorov played there for several years. Michael Pekka. Like, isn't that crazy? Michael Pekka. Like, it's crazy. Prospel. Backlap Prospel played for Tampa Bay like eight different times. Somehow snuck in a couple years in Columbus. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm formally changing my answer to Lassie Pirjeta. Okay. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, least favorite Columbus Blue Jacket of all time. Hmm. I just don't like him. It's, uh, it's, it's Nick Foligno for me. Mm. I don't like him. That's why I bumped him out of the overrated spot. Because he is an overrated. He is a good player. I just don't like him. Anton Strawman played for the Columbus Blue Jackets, by the way, as I continue scrolling. Like, can we do an episode of just being like, 
Guys that played for the Columbus Blue Jackets. I know a guest with Adam Foote played there. <laughs> yeah, this would have been a great episode for Cookson. Yeah. Fuck, why do we... Samuel Paulson, for three years, yeah. played for this team. Yeah. A couple of local boys have made their uh, careers in Columbus. Todd Marshawn! Yeah, big fan. Ooh, can I change my answer? Sure, buddy. It's your well, podcast. you know what? Like, I already stuck with Felino. I forgot, though. I was going to say Mike Commodore. I don't like the dude. I just mm. don't really like him. He played there. Mm. Uh, my least Brian favorite Burrard is... played there. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Do you need a minute? Like, are you no, just I'm good. I'm done. You, you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Did you know freaking uh, Fred Brathwaite uh, had a little uh, stint in Columbus? Isn't uh, that fucking well? Uh, my, Hanson uh, Carter. Yeah, yeah, there he is. Yeah. Uh, my my least favorite is uh, Pierre Luc Dubois. Like, what a fucking ass! <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just fucking with you. Um, <laughs> it's also because my Dubois jersey's in the mail. Yeah. Go Jets, baby! Mm-hmm. Yeah, here comes my Patrick Line jersey. Um, least favorite, fucking, I don't know. I don't know how long he played there for. Let me look it up real quick. I, I have a hockey card of him. That's one reason I know he was on the team. Probably played 20 games or something stupid. Uh, no, he's played more games there than anywhere else in his career. That's fucking embarrassing. Uh, fucking Chris Russell. Fuck that guy. Fuck Chris oh, Russell. That's fair. Yeah. He's bad. 300 games as a Blue Jacket almost. He's bad. Isn't that wild? Like, he's better than me. But he, he's bad. Man, um, can I, can I, can I address something alarming? Again, your podcast. Does Gus Nyquist not play anywhere right now? I don't think so. Wikipedia, he's listed as a Columbus Blue Jacket, but he hasn't played a game this year. No, he has not. Uh, oh no, he's a Columbus Blue Jacket, okay. so he must just be hurt, I guess. Right? No, yeah, he signed a he signed a four year deal. Okay, he, thank uh, God. He underwent the knife on November fourth, and it will miss five to six months. Okay, I was I was gonna say like, uh, you know, we we don't need to play Jimmy VC for eighteen minutes a night if you can just give Gus Nyquist a little offer there, like he'll be fine. Yeah, I'm, okay. sh- I'm sure the Leafs have the cap room for that. Well, if he were just sitting at home on his couch, right. you know is what I'm saying? Right. I'm talking about a guy who currently makes $5.5 million playing he hockey. He's a guy. And I'm talking about him being like, man, just take a fucking 800k you know, deal with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Classic Leaf fans. Well, that was a very uh, unexpected... On, on the toes underrated underrated it's a crazy it was a crazy day. episode very organic yeah, that was very organic like off it was the, <laughs> off the cuff nothing planned really there that that went crazy I'm uh I'm gonna, every week see I'm gonna have to just listen, show up and talk I'm gonna have to not just edit but listen to the whole episode so that way I know how to do the synopsis because normally when I do our synopsis for like the tweets and the fucking write up for the episode I just take our breakdown and ca- and basically put it in sentence form I don't remember what we talked about, so. We talked about a lot of things. Had like five beers during yeah. the episode. Anybody so. that tuned out after we uh, had the Jimmy Rutherford talk and wanted to know who we thought would replace him, uh, they missed out because we didn't get to that for like an hour and a half. So that's that's fucking hilarious. But it came full circle, so. Did we, did we, yeah, we came back to that? Yeah. That's Real awesome. quick. Was, <laughs> that's awesome. It was, it was not cool. well planned. And we apologize right. for that and we will be better and, well, we might not be, but we'll uh, we'll be here. Still doing what we do. Uh, yeah. Next week. Next week on the bonus episode, uh, why Sidney Crosby should not play for the Detroit Red Wings. Our <sighs> essay. See, like, the thing is, in the spirit of the overrated, underrated, favorite, least favorite, like, Crosby would go to Columbus, but it would be like 55 games, right? And somehow, 
it would be like 41 points. But then he would go to like Vancouver the next year and have like 95 in in 70. You know what I mean? Like Columbus is just a stop on your on your destination. It's not it's not your final stop. But so it's all just roads a, lead through It's just Columbus. a connection, you know. Mm. You know what? I feel like Columbus is a notorious airport too for being a connection. Like like I've heard of people connecting in Columbus. Why wouldn't you just go to Cleveland? I'm telling you, this place is perfect. You're gonna make friends in no time. <laughs>